Oh, I didn't have a... Hello! Hi! Hello! Uh, chat, if y'all can see us, please let me know. Because I forgot to open a bunch of other tabs so that I could see myself. Um, testing. Yeah, yep, yep. Look good. Yep. Okay, cool. Hi there! Hello! Welcome! Uh, it's Sunday, which means it's time for more lore beards. Wonderful. Excellent. Uh, thank you. And my beard is very... <laughs> swiftly turning into a bird nest i need to trim it but uh, <laughs> in any event uh welcome back to another episode so this one very interesting in that this vote uh, so close yeah this this week's vote was <laughs> insanely close i think if i had not been beating the drums over in my corner i'm pretty sure manfred would have won <laughs> I, I think it was almost i mean i was sitting there on the side saying should i be you know go manfred go manfred but i just let lie i let it lie because i didn't want to start the next dream with a ha i'm a winner or ah i'm a loser <laughs> yeah well, well welcome to uh we would have had the sundering on lore beards <laughs> yeah indeed <laughs> um that being said, uh, don't fret those of you that voted for Manfred. Uh, I think that just because the vote was so insanely close, we're probably going to revisit that sooner rather than later. Um, and a lot of the other weeks, it's been kind of blowouts. This one was insanely close. It really um, was. Um, we can we can add that to the list of the coming very soon um, because every yeah. single week we have a bit of a discussion. And we know we've put quite a few out there already and a few of them have come up multiple times for people going, could you go back to that one? Could you go back to that one? But this one, <laughs> yeah, this one we'll go back to because hell, it's Manfred. Yeah, kind of a big deal. Mm. Uh, so, uh, but for this week, we're doing Tehenuin, which I am so freaking excited about uh, because... Uh, as a lot of people probably notice, uh, my channel is heavily inspired uh, from Tehinuin because he was he is my favorite character in all of Games Workshop's various IPs. Uh, I do have a lot of characters that I deeply love, but Tehinuin is like my absolute favorite. Uh, you no, know, I, I didn't know that. If I'd uh, known that, I'd have probably been beating the drum as well because he's a really cool character. I really enjoy him. And it gives us an opportunity to do something that we've not done much of on the previous streams, and that's to actually just focus on one species <clears throat> version of events because the Lizardmen have a very specific view of how things came to pass. So that's going to be a bit of a different angle in comparison to some of our more, let's say, uh, oozy ways of describing the <laughs> early lore where we sort of, we go, it's sort of this, it's sort of that. We can more categorically say, well, the Lizardmen say this, um, which gives us a far stronger starting point. Yeah, the Lizardmen almost kind of have an advantage in that they don't necessarily have a bunch of different versions of their lore that's been told. So it's a, it's a much more consistent storyline overall. That being said, there are some notable changes um, that we'll address. Very much so. so. Without further just, ado, just with names, if nothing else. Uh, yeah, yeah. So without, yeah, that's that's a great place I mean, to start. One. Um, I'd say probably if you're going to start, it might be worth actually giving a little bit of grounding because for some people, the lizardmen are almost an alien species that they just don't understand uh, hmm. because they've never collected the army. For example, if they've played the board, the battle game, or if they're playing the role play game, they might have only ever played in the old world. So I think it might be worth giving a quick, you know, in That's the fair. beginning, this yeah. is the setup, and then just set up where the good old prophet of Sotek is born into because he's born into a troubled time. Yeah, that's a good point. So uh, to I'm going to hardcore summarize this uh, of that 
the Warhammer world is split mainly into two main theaters, being the new world and the old world. Um, and like technically, like Cathay and all that stuff, you could argue it's part of the old world, but I guess you could argue there's also an Eastern theater. But in any event, in the new world, uh, there are the one race that we get a lot of information on who have been there the entire time are the Lizardmen. And the Lizardmen are... They are, I think they are best described as the custodians of the Warhammer world. Uh, they were sort of created by the old ones with the intent of watching over and caring for the old world, finishing various like kind of construction projects, and also maintaining. <laughs> I'm going to immediately come with a slightly different angle <laughs> because yeah. some of those lizardmen weren't. Um, so the lizardmen, that, yeah. to make sure to make something very clear right from the beginning, the lizardmen aren't one species because a lot of people think that they're just one big conglomerate. They're actually a bunch of species that are all grouped together and they all follow <laughs> a similar pattern, but they all have very discreet jobs. Um, right at the very top, we've got the good old toady uh, slad. Um, yep. Everybody knows what they look like. Big, huge, fat slam mage preets. If you don't know what they look like, go take a check in them. And these are the ones who are dealing with the bigger picture. They are the overall, you could argue, the custodians. Next, we have ourselves, let's put, say skinks next. Skinks are your administrators. Yeah, they're yeah. the ones who get things done. They're the uh, people who are on the ground, running around. They're sharp, they're fast, they're intelligent, and they're also super agile. They're also uh, not, uh, unlike many other species, uh, relatively highly on the whole magic side as well. So there's your skinks. Next down the rung, you probably have your Saurus. Yeah, Saurus. Yep. Saurus are your warriors. Now, these are the ones that were created for originally one purpose, Kicking ass, chewing gum, <laughs> and they were all out of gum. They were created before the Great Cataclysm, and we often forget why they were built. We sort of discussed it in our, what, the last stream, actually, with Cathay, but they were built to clear out the entire yeah. known world. Wars of extermination. Was there to begin with. These guys are not good guys, with the skinks running alongside them, making sure they got it done. We also had ourselves the Croxagor. Now, these things are huge. Their primary purpose was to build, but they are also dab, a bit of a dab hand up squashing things too. Yes, it helps when you're easily the size of a troll. Uh. Yes, totally. <laughs> um, and all of these species... Thank you, uh, Kipuri. Appreciate that. Oh, thanks. I, I completely missed that. You rock. So all of these species <laughs> were originally created by the old ones to effectively terraform the Warhammer world and enact their plan in terraforming the Warhammer world as it shifted from way deep in space and came closer to the Warhammer world's sun and generally speaking changed the Saurus going around kicking ass chewing gum, the Croxagore building whatever it was that the old ones needed the mage priests uh, communing with the old ones so that they could enact the old ones plan, a plan that at this point was not written down Yes. So uh, life from the Lizardman's perspective, everything was wonderful and going according to a harmony and an order. And while they, the Slon, were very busy trying to make sure they were interpreting everything correctly and constantly double checking things for the, all the other Lizardmen, it, there was a lot of comfort in how structured a lot of the world was. Uh, and they were busy like setting up, uh, raising uh, or setting up systems for the younger races that the old ones did want to keep around and all these other things happening. And then suddenly cataclysm. 
Um, totally. Now, uh, we <clears> take <throat> it from the Lizardman perspective, there's a few things that definitely happened before the Cataclysm came. Other species got slightly different versions of the stories, but let's make sure we have their version locked in place. The Elves were definitely an old one creation, and they were dropped into what is now modern-day Elthwood. Hmm. Um, the dwarves were an old one creation. The ogres and the halflings were old one creations. <laughs> the gnomes were probably old one creations. If you want to squirrel away into that tiny little edge of um, lore, yep. everybody else kind of arguable. Um, they hmm. may or may not have been. The cataclysm occurred, and in the lizardman version of the cataclysm, that great event pretty much wiped out the old ones. The old ones didn't hang around and do lots of chat, although some versions of some myths say they did, that they hung around and they fought as a part of the war. Other ones say that gods fought in this war. Different myths have different things. But according to the Lizardmen, the old ones went. They were abandoned at this point, or the old ones did something so extraordinary to try and hold back the two collapsing gates as corruption fl flooded through over the Warhammer world that they expended their presence here on the Warhammer world. But they were gone, and the war that followed afterwards was fought by all of the old ones' children. And the slan, the very, very old slan, are wiped out in the first parts of that war. Again, yeah big event that they did too yeah and the things that are worth noting is that the lizardmen um in a sense they have a really interesting perspective on the cataclysm in that they genuinely viewed the old ones as perfect they viewed them as what we would kind of consider gods like from our world perspective but probably not what like the warhammer world would generally consider gods like they viewed them as completely unassailable perfect enlightened beings that there was no, they had no downsides, they had no flaws, they made no mistakes, everything yep. was completely and utterly perfect, which we know is probably old not true. Rock. No, shh, uh, shh, shh. The old ones rock. Don't denigrate the old ones. It's a lizard man day. Yeah, and like Andy <laughs> said, there were um what's interesting though is there were warning signs that the cataclysm was coming, but for the lizardmen, they probably didn't realize what they were looking at, and that many of the generations of Slon, some of them were created for all of them were created for specific mm -hmm. projects, being that there were five generations. Um, but the last two generations, most notably, were created to try and stabilize the polar warp gates. Which, if you had humans in that scenario, they would probably go oh, something's wrong with these. That's not good. We should probably be preparing in case something bad happens. But the yeah. Lizardmen don't do that because they don't... Why would those fail? They're made by the old ones. Like, sure, we're made to fix them, but that's clearly like a flaw due to the materials or something, not because there's a flaw in the old ones. So... Yeah. Um, and it's also worth stating <clears throat> that at this point, um, what are the old ones that from the uh, Lizardmen perspective? They are known to be a galaxy... Uh, fearing and also interestingly from how it's pitched in more than one source time fearing mm. um and that they lie beyond space and time which means that as creatures they're almost certainly tied into the aether as we understand it in more modern later versions of warhammer where uh, the aether the realms of demons and gods time itself doesn't truly exist there in a way that we understand it here in the material realm um so the old mm. ones are from over on that side, probably, maybe, they came in silver ships and they connected the Warhammer world through to all of the rest of their galaxy-spanning empire through the polar gates at the North and the South Pole. Now, you might find some sources only mention the North Pole. Uh, this is particularly for sources that come 
from newer species because they might only be aware of a single hole. But yeah. as the Lizardman Army list confirmed multiple times, the most recent one, that's 8th edition, there are definitely still two poles in the Warhammer world, and they are definitely both corrupt and flooding the world full of nasty magics. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that's interesting is a lot of people don't realize how big these gates were because these things were so huge, they were capable of the, like, the old ones, like massive absolutely colossal starships to effortlessly pass through them there were a lot of smaller yeah. gates but a lot of the smaller gates were on the planet itself these gates were so big they had to be suspended in space i think it's also worth noting as well um that uh through the course of this construction with the gates themselves there was the building of geomantic web and this was using magic that was tapped into the very world itself and sort mm. of earth magic now some Sources try to conflate this with the winds of magic. Some try to say that they're not the same. We can say for certain that it's a giant battery of awesome magic. And it was used to power the gates and power the network that they had across the world, which also allowed, for example, the slan to instantly communicate with each other. Wherever mm -hmm. they were on the Warhammer world, they could instantly talk. Uh, they could instantly work in concert with each other as well. And there's a strong suggestion that these early lizardmen were perhaps more closely into what we'd imagine as automatons than mm -hmm. what come later when the old ones are no longer there and the great geomantic web has largely collapsed and been repurposed and rebuilt and shored up against the horror that happened during the cataclysm and then all of their children which were once effectively extensions of the old ones will are now working for themselves trying to figure out what the fuck to do yep so the gates blow up uh, demons come pouring out. Uh, a lot of the Slon in particular die instantly uh, yep, yep. trying to... I will say, credit to the Slon of that. When the gate does go critical, they notice immediately. Yep. <laughs> and many of them spend their lives kind of thwarting the shockwave that is about to hit the planet. Yep. So instead of the planet just being instantly crushed, it's instead just flooded by chaos. Um, and then a big war breaks out. There are a lot of, there are so many different accounts of how this war goes. Yep, yep, um, yep. it lasts for over a thousand years. Yep. Um, the Lizardmen supposedly were a world spanning empire that got ground back over time until they were forced back to Lustria in the Southlands. Um, and we're not going to focus pretty much at all on the Southlands Lizardmen for this video. They're not super important for the story. Uh, it's it, until much, much later, but, uh, Lustria has a really hard time. Um, by the end, like. They have cities all over the continent, um, and the Lizardmen debatably had some sort of small army, at least, on every single nexus point in the geometric web, of yep. which there are thousands, and the Lizardmen get pushed back in Lustria to, like, five, um, yeah. which is it, insane. It's tough. It is tough. Um, now, the old ones, um, it's worth adding one extra detail. Ah, yes, the sacred plaques. Um, I realized that it, the shit was about to hit the fan. And just before it does hit the fa fan, they uh, orchestrate their plan, pull their whole plan together, and lay it out in sacred plaques, mostly of gold and stone, laid out into each one of the primary nexus points of the Lizardmen. Let's call them cities. Um, yep. and they get dropped in there in, a, let's say, a pyramid, because who knows exactly what it was so many thousand years ago, but it definitely was a pyramid of some sort. Pyramids dropped or ziggurats or something. Yeah, Exactly. It's dropped in there, and a, each of the various cities are given the great plan. The what the fuck you can do and what we believe is coming. And the, I think the one thing you've got to remember about this is that the, they are 
as in the old ones, creatures that lie beyond time. So these plaques are laced through not just with what you should do, it's laced through with what's going to actually happen. All these events are going to happen, and these are the ones you want to avoid. This is how it's all going to go wrong. And inevitably, it'll include things that we've covered in our previous streams, including the great um, cycle of the Everchosens coming out from the mm -hmm. uh, Great Gates and the gods themselves attempting to destroy the world. So these plaques are suddenly appearing, and the Slan, who have just won their war, are in a position where they're now going to try and figure out what the fuck this all means. But the geomantic web is largely broken. They themselves are mostly dead. The previous generations that may have understood more are gone, and they've got to try and piece it all together. And the Slan, well, that's tough, particularly given because the web's much weaker, they themselves are much weaker and more tired. They're wiped out from the great workings they've just done for the war, and many of the Slan just go to sleep. Yeah, and something, I want, something I want to... <laughs> <laughs> contemplate greatness as they say uh, yeah <laughs> so, something i want to reiterate uh, that andy said that's really worth focusing on as we get into it because this question seemed to come up a lot about the sacred plaques in particular is that the old ones are weird they're a very very alien species that we don't have a lot of information on but like andy said they were definitely removed from time especially because they had a very bizarre way of looking at things and they were apparently so difficult to commune with, to directly speak to, that only the first generation of Slon ever had that experience. Yep, yep. Uh, Lord Lord Croak had four other guys in his generation. There's only five of them in all of existence. And yep. they're the only beings we know of that directly 100% chat with the old ones, except for like the oldest of the dragons. Mm -hmm. um, because apparently anyone else that would try would just like their brain would melt or something. Um, which if you're talking about a being that literally has a concept of reality and time that is just completely mind-boggling, um, that would probably make sense that the first generation Slon were the only ones whose brains were specifically designed so they could handle those yeah. conversations. I, I think a good way for us to try and imagine it is to fall back on almost the old, tired cliches of alien minds. And the easiest one that we can always go for is something that we ourselves can immediately imagine because <laughs> it's easy. And that is, imagine if you can that all life in the Warhammer world is just a two-dimensional creature living on a big flat piece of paper. If someone took a sphere and placed it onto that piece of paper it would look like a dot and if you pass it through that sphere would look like a circle because you can't see the rise and the fall of the sphere underneath it because you live on a flat plane mm. in the warhammer world all the slan all the lizardmen can see is the big circle but the plan is a sphere because the old ones are a dimension beyond them, so to speak. There are probably many more dimensions beyond them because they come from a completely different realm, so to speak. That's both material and immaterial at once. But they are living in a realm of globes where the lizardmen are living in a realm of circles. So they can understand the circle, but they don't see how it's all connected together. All they see is individual bits of this enormous three-dimensional problem. The three-dimensional problem is the great plan and it's not mm -hmm. a circle it's a jagged mountain with bits and bobs sticking out in thousands of different directions but all the lizardmen can really see is these individual <laughs> points of light and these individual points of light where they materialize in the physical plane are the great plaques so these great plaques convey the information of all the impossibility that lies beyond and it's conveyed in a simple language that hopefully the slan can understand so that they can hopefully see through the great plan but the problem is 
all the plaques don't say the same thing. Yeah. So there is some, I love that, by the way. Uh, there is some indication that uh, there yeah, may be. accident, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> there may have been some right. <laughs> What are they saying? It's the language of the gods. We don't know. But, uh, but there is a lot of heavy indication that I am. Uh, different um different old ones may have been associated with different cities and when the time came where the plaques need to be written because it was a panic thing like the plaques were not like oh we're like at this time we're going to make sure to write down all our plans something changed in the war between chaos and the old ones and the old ones realized oh shit we're about to lose mm -hmm. and so it what may well have happened is that each city's collection of plaques may have been written by different old ones who put different value on different things or saw even saw things happening differently um, because there are contradictions within the different cities interpretations of the great plans. Like they'll have plaques seemingly talking about the same event, but seemingly saying different things. Now, whether that's actually saying different things or just the Slons limitations on understanding it makes it look like they're saying different things. We don't know. Um, yeah. But it's a, I can't express enough um, how important it is to not try and understand the old ones and their plan, because mm -hmm. to do so is to do two things wrong. Number one, to expect that Games Workshop have a plan. They don't. Um, that's not what it is. There's not this great big plan that they understand that they're attempting to see through. It's a, it's a cool piece of shit lore, what we have created. And the old ones are super fucking mysterious. Um, but beyond that, what is written about the old ones is absolutely clear. And that is that they are simply beyond everything that exists currently in the Warhammer world in any realistic sense. It could just simply be a single entity. The great ships that are moving through could be nothing more than it's the, tip, the fingerprints of its fingernails as a fourth dimensional entity just drifting in as no, the various geez. links are created. No. There is no way to know if it's multiple creatures, one creature, one if it's, for example, like a human. As, a, as we as humans, our organs all individually uh, came about, came up possibly from different creatures merging together. We are created from millions of different creatures that lie within us, that allow us to work as a single individual. But we have a single thought process that lies above it all, a consciousness. The old ones could be a simple consciousness that lies over all of these individual parts. But that body suddenly caught cancer. It broke apart and all the individual parts of that body may have tried to make an individual message. Who knows what actually happened? All we know is we have a host of plaques that to the slan seemed to contradict in many key places. And in some places they didn't just contradict they held completely different messages. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, uh, every city's version of the Great Plan is incomplete because mm -hmm. they had a giant war that lasted for almost 2,000 years. And when you're in a war, shit happens. Parts of your buildings get blown up. Places yeah. where, the, you know, some of the sacred plaques were looted. Some of them were lost, like they were in transport for to a different space and those people got attacked or, you know, wild magic seeped into where they were and destroyed some of them. So nobody has a complete selection. Um, the, everybody's got gaps. So, and like Andy said, it's further compounded by the Slon were exhausted after the war. Yeah. Um, there's even some notes in the uh, the eighth edition books that try to focus a little bit more, uh, or no, sorry, the seventh edition books would try to focus a little bit more on this original war, in that it talks about that chaos kind of subtly screwed with each of the races 
to alter them somewhat. Not necessarily intentionally, but just by them encountering chaos so much. The very nature um, of the winds of magic themselves seeping through the material realm are going to change things anyway. So you could argue that it was nothing more than the very nature of the gates collapsing that caused change to occur. Yeah, and you have the Slon who pretty much uniquely to them literally looked chaos in the face. Like they looked into that abyss trying some of them trying to understand what was going on some of them trying to fight it and it seemed to you know that classic thing of they looked at chaos and it looked back and that experience deeply affected the slon now whether it affected them so much because their minds like like tried to delete that memory because they realized it was corrupted so they sealed it away or whether uh, a curse was inflicted on them by chaos itself. It's hard to say. There are notes that the Slon seem to believe uh, that Zinch cursed them with malaise. I shall uh, add um, an, an extra little detail here. Um, and this is uh, dropping out of the books and dropping to the side when we were building shit. Hmm. Um, uh, I remember sitting inside Bugman's Bar oh, down in uh, Nottingham <laughs> and we were planning um, a big giant campaign and we were discussing at length the nature of the slan who were they what were they what are they trying to do and one key fact came out of that in particular there's a conversation i was having with gav thorpe um and that was at its heart there was only one incorruptible species in the warhammer world just one and that was the slan actually incorruptible so chaos had to work in different ways to not so much corrupt it but to affect it to effectively get their win so to speak and mm -hmm. that lay at the core of what we are building what do you do when you're dealing with something incorruptible and you seek to corrupt it um and i think that's an important part to remember about the slan is um it's not just that they think they are better than anyone else to make the decisions because they were put in place to do that by the old ones but they also know they are acutely aware that they are probably the only incorruptible thing in the world yeah from their the, perspective yeah and the slon are very they're very cautious about it too like uh the slon they do not touch the ground like they float on palanquins and it's not because the slon are incapable of movement though it is you know difficult for them compared to other races but they genuinely believe that if they were to touch the ground the ground has been so oversaturated with chaos that it could potentially affect them so they say, nope, we won't risk it. Like either they either sit on like large beds of like leaves or they float in sacred pools or they sit on their palanquins. They will never touch the earth again. Yeah, they, they've, they have taken the necessary steps to ensure that they remain incorruptible, to ensure that they can do what they need to do. Now, are they perfect at making those decisions? That is a different situation <laughs> entirely. But what you can say is that the decisions that the slan make will not be are uh, corrupted by chaos but they could be potentially channeled in the wrong direction by chaos just worth yeah. noting so turning the clock forward uh mm -hmm. so uh uh the slon uh for the most part kind of become pretty inactive um like from the yeah. lizard from the rest of the lizardman's yeah. perspective and note most notably the skinks the slon kind of they have moments where they wake up and get involved but the skinks are kind of left without masters on two levels. The old ones are gone. And in a lot of ways, the slon are gone. So the skinks are kind of left going, well, I guess we got to start fixing stuff and trying to make the best decisions we can. 
And so the skinks go. Don't. (laughs) Yeah, especially skinks only live for like a hundred years. Like they live about as long as humans do. Possibly Uh, less, according to some sources as well. Um, ones that have longer lives often only do for specific reasons. Um, uh, uh, I remember having a discussion about this one actually, and the general uh, consensus amongst some was that they are shorter lived than humans. Um, Hmm. they run fast. Um, and that it's very rare to find them uh, exceeding the age of 40, 50. Um, so, yeah, they t- they, they're fast. They're going at a slightly different pace to some of the yeah, other it, species. It is very rare to see them over 100 years old. Like in the yeah. modern in the modern timeline, excluding uh, Tanuin, who's a very unique case, there's literally only a single skink we know of who's over 100 years old. Yeah, it's uh, a little being... bit similar to humans. It's very rare to see any of those over, uh, well, let's be honest, in the human world, over 200 because you do get lots of them that have lived for quite a while. Um, but we generally think of humans as dying out around about the 70 area, if they live to old age, 70 to 100. But there's examples in the warmer world of some that have lived for far longer. Yeah. So uh, so the skinks, in many ways, take over lizardmen society uh, mm-hmm. because they have no choice. Somebody's got to do it, and they're capable of it. Like the Saurus. Saurus are very, very intelligent, but they're very specifically designed on matters of warfare. Yeah. Um, they do not care nor have any interest in anything beyond that. They don't care for construction or art or understanding the plan or any of that. They are meant for war. They know they're meant for war. And that's all they practice and try to understand is they're working on strategies and complex maneuvers and mm-hmm. studying how to defeat different kinds of enemies and mm-hmm. fighting one another in mock battles. And that's that's all they do. That's that is their laser focus. Actually, it's worth um, just loosely speaking about the Lizardmen as an umbrella term here because um, there's about to be some changes that occur within the Lizardmen as a whole. But the Lizardmen are generally perceived by other species as being a couple of key traits. Number one is cold, emotionless, um, uh, almost business-like in absolutely everything they do while simultaneously <laughs> having sa- savagery. Um, that plays through them because they're seen by many as very uh, almost animalistic because of the hissing and um, and similar that is akin to an animalistic behavior Um, Mm. but in terms of when they go to war they are all business they're all about crushing and moving on they're not about hating the enemy they're not about despising them and, and, and tearing them down they're not passionate creatures and indeed this is something that has to be understood about the lizardmen to their very core at this point they are almost dispassionate um up to the point of the end of the world cataclysmic event where everything went wrong and they're quite unlike the humans they're quite unlike the elves indeed they're quite unlike the dwarves in that they are not filled with emotion as we understand them that doesn't mean they're not intelligent they're not sharp they're not sentient they're not involved uh, that means does, our skinks are super fast super quick thinking they are administrators at heart where our saurus as has already been said they're very much about the um application of what they can do for war with often the skink standing beside them making mm-hmm. the uh, decisions not above them uh, which is something yeah. that should be relatively clear in your heads because the saurus are not subordinate and stupid the croxagor arguably are pretty stupid but they've got enough brain to do everything that they need to do importantly which is <laughs> I take with follow that. <laughs> uh, no, they've got that that the, they've got to yeah, follow the, orders yeah, the, and build yeah um, they've got a very clear sense of spatial <clears throat> direction they understand the um 
the the world, the material realm, arguably better than most because they're building in it. Where uh, they, that's where their strength comes. They don't have a an imagination in the same way that the skinks do. Um, what they have is a very practical step-by-step process-driven mind where they don't get bored. Boredom comes from having an imagination. They don't get bored. Doesn't mean they're stupid. It just means that they just go through what they they need to do. Very specific set of skills and knowledge revolving around it. Um, And one of the things that's also worth noting in this is, like Andy said, that the Lizardmen do not have a hierarchy in the sense of like one species is above the others or better than the others. The Lizardmen are very, very keen on knowing who is best to to handle a specific situation. And they immediately turn, they, they see kind of themselves almost as a well-oiled machine of understanding. All right. When we have to deal with this problem, we turn to this guy. When we have to deal with this problem, we turn to this guy. Um, And they, many of them emerge from spawning pools, fully grown, knowing I am meant to do this job. Yeah. And comes Um, out and says, Hey, I'm the guy in charge of this. And they look at him and go, okay. But, but not always. <laughs> no, no. And this is where the big but comes in. It's about to change. Yeah. Yes. It's about to change significantly because at this point, as the slan withdraw, as the skinks without any leadership and arguably without any leadership skills, because they have been dropped into this mess um, and left to fend for themselves. That Lizardman society through the course of this period of time largely devolves. It um, turns to sacrifice. It turns to almost, in some places religion and barbarism. But it's not religion and great gods. It's often just perceiving their slan in some cases or the old ones as things to be worshipped. But it's a neophyte worship. It's a worship of the sun. It's a worship of the ocean because it's a thing that they're aware of. It's something else to try and blame for whatever woes coming their way. And then the old one. Uh, equivalent wakes up as the slan comes out and generally says, I'm fucking tired, leave me alone. I'm still trying to figure out what this fucking plaque means. <laughs> yeah. Literally leave me alone. There's a really nice little bit in the 8th edition army list, actually, where uh, a bunch of elves arrive and um, the elves pop along and that's the very first time the elves have left Elfwin. They've been told they're never allowed to leave there, but they're making their way over. They've arrived with the lizardmen and uh, some of the skinks go up and they try to wake up good old toady slan and say, hey! Hey, we've got some people here. There's like, yeah. there's things here. There's a more blood. What do we do? They're, what do we do? They're not all cold. They said, what, what do we do? And his first response is, bugger off. I'm trying to sleep. Um, and the skinks sit there trying to translate what he says. And as far as they're concerned, it was something along the lines of, uh, go away. I'm tired. It's all yeah. gone wrong. Yeah, that's another thing. Another difficulty for the skinks is that the slon are far more used to thinking and using telepathy to communicate, not speaking. And when the Slon do speak, what they say can be very, very hard for the Skinks to interpret. Yeah, a single um, sentence could be interpreted in multiple different ways. And to make things worse for the poor Slan, the geomantic web that they rely upon to do all of their instant communication with each other, to uh, also communicate with the Lizardmen as a whole and make them work in orchestra with each other, they don't want to use because it's a potentially finite source that is crumbling and they've shored up against the depredations of the Dark Gods. So the Slan are constantly in a state of half panic about ensuring this plan that they're only half understand comes to pass yeah so uh and like any said like lord who in it that mouth oh, word is well that, done that name I was a mouthful. that one up because i'd never remember uh, yeah I, well it's like I, I i remembered lord win is like his subordinate uh mm. who's like a 
third or fourth generation slot. But yeah, uh, Lord Huynh League uh, uh, is in charge of um, uh, Tlaxlan, the city of the moon. And he's one of the few remaining second generation slot. And uh, they, but yeah, he was wounded during the battle in chaos. So he was busy trying to heal and ruminate and all this stuff. They keep waking him up. He keeps telling him to leave him alone, piss off. Uh, until finally they bring the elves and he literally wakes up, looks at the elves who are just like, they've been brought to the Lizardman city with fanfare and the Lizardman are like, well, he didn't say kill them. So I guess like, let's throw a party. All right. <laughs> and the elves are like, wow, this is all really cool. And they stand before the salon. He's asleep. They wait. He's asleep. They wait. They wait. And then finally he wakes up. He looks at them and he says a single sentence and then goes back to sleep. And what's hilarious is that the skinks that you have all these skink priests and different skinks standing around the salon, they erupt into an argument yep. over what he said. So the, the, the elves are just sitting there looking from the skinks who are having this vicious argument, trying to interpret what he says before the most, the eldest of the living skink priests turns and looks at the elves and interprets what the salon said for, I don't know why he said this in a language they would understand, but he did. He says, Oh yeah, the boss said they should not be here. And you know, there's a lot of different ways that could be interpreted, uh but the elves interpret it in the uh-oh way and in a moment of kind of panic, they reach for their weapons uh, just to be a little cautious, but the second they do that, the temple guard go, "Nope." <laughs> yeah. And it's a massacre. Uh yeah, only the single elf gets home. No, no, a few a, a captain and a bunch of his fellows as I recall. Um, uh, one one uh, survives the trip home. One uh, uh, point taken. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the elves don't go back down there for a long time. Yeah, and for good reason. Let's, let's just leave the lizardmen alone. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's potentially dangerous. So um, that also gives you a little bit of an idea of lizardman society um, that devolves from this. In that, we had the old ones who had a message for the slan that the slan don't understand and they're thinking about. We've got the slan who've got messages for the skinks and the skinks don't interpret those well. The skinks then pass it down to the other species who were never supposed to be necessarily receiving orders of the type that the skinks are giving and they often just screw it up because mm. one of them's just a fighter. That's what they do. The saurists think in terms of what needs to be defeated or what needs to be built for the croc and then they're being told to bash skulls or to patrol an area and they're like Sorry, right. yes that's correct my bad uh, uh yeah i got i got my salon cities mixed up <laughs> yeah, there you go so, <clears throat> i couldn't recall anyway so yeah you gotta remember these species um are now doing things that they don't know how to do and they're being asked to make decisions when they don't necessarily have the imagination to do that that forms the correct sort skinks don't know how to build but now they're being told that they have to look after all the temple cities they don't know how to do that so they turn to the uh they turn to the crocs and the crocs don't know how to make decisions they just know how to build um so it all just comes crumbling down and each of the cities is in a different state of mess yeah and it, it even goes so far as you now have skinks being spawned who are taking on roles they were not meant to take so they're having to expand into kind of uncomfortable new territory yes. but and and but the skinks do have the advantage of because they only live for so mount so long and new generations are constantly coming out they have an easier time adapting to this constant change than a lot of the other lizardmen because the other lizardmen live for way longer. Like Saurus and Slon don't seem to die of old age. 
Um, Croc scores don't seem to die of old age, or it's rare. Are sharp minds. They're fast. Um, yeah. So uh, the problem is, though, that the very thing that is their their strength is also their weakness, and that is their ability to pass on information. Um, it's almostly um, coming down from mouth to mouth to generation to oh, generation. Oh, absolutely it is. Um, yeah. and, and that brings a weakness as certain things are forgotten, as tales get told incorrectly, as things that came from the slan perhaps 400 years previously have just turned into, we're now a bunch of warriors who run through the forest killing anything that gets in the way. Many of them become, for want of a better word, relatively savage, where others stay almost noble and civilized by comparison. They all have a different area. Some of them split up that some of them go and form their own areas which have nothing to do with slan some tribes are by themselves others sit around the ancient cities and in some cities the slan themselves are just no longer there dead and gone yeah it's even goes so far as to say that like uh in the in the dragon isles there there was a lizardman temple city um but all the slan died there and it says yeah. that if we according to what legends we have the lizardmen that are in the dragon isles are not they seem to not even be sentient anymore they seem to just be animals um, because without the slon there to guide them, they devolved that badly over, you know, 6,000 years. Yeah, um, it's a long time um, between our collapse of the enormity of the old one civilization and the world that eventually gives birth to what we're here to talk about today. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, so 4,000 years pass in Lustria of mm -hmm. this new system trying to take place and the skinks are what's really interesting is that the skinks all of the lizardmen change in some really interesting ways but the skinks especially change dramatically yes. of that they become for lack of a better word a very passionate species um they are prone to arguments and uh they do I'll a lot of it, i'll go i'll dial back and dial forward in that one i would say at this point um, it's not so much their passion is born as it's about to be born. Um, at the moment, there's no real signs that the skinks themselves have evolved into a species of passion, a species where their um, relative beliefs make a difference. Um, but yeah, but I would argue that possibly that is going to be the case for a certain set of red crested skinks. Yeah, well, I guess where I was trying to go with that is that what we see the skinks doing that would probably not have really been seen 4,000 years before this is that you have skinks like creating art. You have yes. skinks that are architects. You have skinks yes. that are creating things, yes. which requires like imagination and interpretation, um, which is different. And the swan, yeah. uh, I think the only word that I wouldn't use up to this point really is deep emotion. What they yeah, had was intellect. What they had was the ability to imagine, to problem solve, and to resolve. And some of them maintained civilization, for want of a better word, um, as an answer to the problems that they faced. Where others um, didn't. They almost devolved and, and fell into almost tribal societies instead as a method of responding. As some of them just forgot what they were there for. They didn't have a slan passing over information. So they had nothing more than the survival in the jungle that stood directly in front of them um so but we are about to get a big change here because there is a certain set of red crested skinks in one city in particular who have been following a slightly different view of what the future could potentially hold yeah so uh the i the last two things we need to touch on before we finally break into this is number one that they're the slon do notice the change that's going on with the lizardmen but they do not directly get involved uh a lot of the times we get notes that the slon will 
how there's some really funny notes about the skinks will perform ceremonies because the salon will tell them to do something like hey when this when the moon is in this place in the sky and these stars are out we need to observe a particular ceremony where you need to take me to this particular temple and i need to cast a spell and then bring me back to my house and the skinks go ah this is a great religious ceremony so over generations they evolve it where it ends up being a pretty straightforward take the salon to this specific place let them cast a spell take them home into they make offerings and there's a great celebration and the saurus get involved and like the croc scores are pounding on drums and the saurus are like there's all this stuff is happening and the, there's these hilarious notes where the salon will wake up in the midst of this and kind of look around and be like what is going on like yeah, totally. this is not part of and they the salon are vaguely irritated by the fact that the skinks have are functionally have made religions out of the old ones because the salon don't view them like that and plan um, themselves um or for no, all, yeah. you know which is worth noting um it it is worth um making one other point really relatively clear here for why this happens before the cataclysm the slan were directly tapped into the geomantic web that was put in place by the old ones and that granted them access to an enormous amount of energy that kept them awake meant that they never had big long periods of slumber meant that they were constantly in communication with not only everybody else all the other slan that they were working with but they were also in communication with the extended network of lizardmen that were for want of a better description and it's a horrible word to use but they're slaves they were their extended will they were the ones that did everything and then with that web broken with the collapse of the uh, gates with the removal of the old ones they're now left with their extraordinary intellect but but they're tired and they don't know what the plan properly is so they have to tap into what powers they have available only carefully they sleep a lot as they think and try to figure out what's happening and through doing that there's long dips of time that to the slan aren't really that long but to the generations of skinks are so the first skink is told go to that hill the next skink says you have to go to that hill every year the next skink says you have to go to that hill every year but it's dangerous because we got attacked last time so take some saurus the next time um they go up there they get attacked again and they're like oh well take some croxagore um in fact why don't we build up this entire path along its entire length with the croxagore the croxagore do what they're told they start building a giant mm. path. and as each generation passes not only is it mentally changing as the skinks come up with reasons because they have imagination for why they were told to do what they had to be told to do because they don't understand the orders they're receiving they try to figure it out because they have imagination and they place their imagination down on everyone else who completely misunderstand it so it's layers upon layers of misunderstanding that turns into great rituals often with enormous fanfares and a great amount of ritual sacrifice in some places as well because they believe that that may be possibly what's needed those sacrifice representing previous combats that took place as they defended off against various monsters from the jungle or whatever else it may have been the society that builds up is just like every cargo cult that you get out there if you go and if you don't know what cargo cult is go out and have a look at it cargo cults are (laughs) awesome um but it's just like every other cargo cult out there as the lizardmen attempt to make sense of things that they can't understand yeah and so uh eventually something subtle arrives in lustria that is not that is not noticed for a while which is that the skaven 
arrive. Mm. Uh, the Skaven, some really bad stuff happened to them back at Skaven Blight, and the entire species was hilariously almost wiped out before it really got going uh, because they built a doomsday device and then it blew up in Skaven fashion. Um, and so they scatter. And one of the Skaven managed to either find a tunnel or gnaw the tunnel all the way under the ocean from the Southlands to Lustria. And yeah, some proper Skaven bullshit yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, like, all right, very impressive, lads. You wonder how many hundreds of miles they got before someone was like, do you think this goes anywhere? <laughs> I'm still going. And how many times did they break through to the surface? Yeah, yeah. The, the whole tunnel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it's honestly a miracle. Clan Pestilence is even a thing. So uh, they make their way and they arrive. Uh, the Skaven eventually find themselves in the ruins of a Lisbon city called Ketza. And um, this was a city that was very specifically bombed out by Nurgle. Uh, Grandfather Nurgle unleashed a terrible plague in the city of Ketza, and it wiped out the Lisbon population there. Um, but uh, the Skaven take up place in its ruins, and between the natural jungle diseases, which, granted, the Salon turned Lestria into, like, a hellscape because they quite literally connected the jungles of Lestria to the geomantic web with a really powerful spell that made it where the jungle became an absolute hellhole for anyone that's not a lizardman. The trees became even bigger. The heat and humidity became more intense. The natural flora and fauna became predatory and far more dangerous, which is why, like, there's literally nothing safe in Lustria. From the smallest bug to the biggest dinosaur, it can kill you, and it will kill you if you are not immensely careful or more accurately lucky. Um, and it's not just because it's like, oh, it's the jungle and, you know, it's a green hell. No, it's a magically induced green hell. It was, it was meant to be so deadly that even demons could not survive in it, which is, you know, spooky. But, uh, anyway, so the, the Skaven set up in Ketza and over a period of time, uh, which is a examination of what exactly happens is a whole thing in its own right. They evolve into clan pestilence. They become Skaven who, uh, Instead of being killed by disease, they embrace it, and they be, they become arguably next to the Graciers, uh, the most fervent worshippers of the Great Horned Rat. Um, they are absolute zealots, and they begin consolidating their power because they're no longer dying, but now growing because of this disease and plague, pestilent, virulent plague of ratmen. Yeah, yeah, and they start to very carefully expand, and they're subtle at first for the first few decades, like. You know, the Lizardmen don't notice them because they're hiding in a city that the Lizardmen already know is infested with terrible plague and disease. So they don't go there because to go there would mean to die and potentially bring disease back with you. So um, they, you know, occasionally a little band of skink patrols or something will vanish or um, some site, you know, the trees have weird diseases. Uh, some nat animal herds are falling sick and found dying and they're all desiccated and stuff for some reason. And the lizardmen don't really get what's going on. Um, well, one set kind of do. Yeah, so the... But only one. Yeah, the lizardmen of Chakwa which is a Chakwa. nearby city. And Chakwa is the city of gold. Uh, they had more gold than anybody else for some reason. And the, the Swan and Chakwa are very interesting because they were looking through, this is actually hundreds of years ago, they were looking through their collection of sacred plaques and they found one that was very weird because they 
the Slon communed with e- each other in Lustria reasonably often. And they would all talk to one another about what plaques they have and try and figure out like events that were going to be important and stuff like that. But they found a plaque that nobody else seemed to have. Um, and they look at it and this plaque talks about the coming of a God by the name of Sotek. It talks about a war with vermin. Uh, it talks about like this rat God and that there's going to be like a terrible war. Disease is going to come to Lustria and they're going to be delivered by this serpent. And the Slon look at this and go, what the fuck? Like, what is this? No. This doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, it's it's the, the worst part of it is that it's actually quite blunt. It prophesizes a massive invasion by a rodent god. Um, it prophesizes disease. It prophesizes more controversially. And this is the big one. And this is the one where we've got proper difference um, for the way the Lizardmen were before to where the Lizardmen are moving. It prophesizes a god. An actual god of lizard men, which is not just controversial. It is something that the slan themselves are like, yeah, what? No, no, just yeah. hard. No, that is not a thing. But in this single plaque, there is a very clear, <laughs> almost undeniable message, which is that the old ones will be moved past. Our entire civilization will be rebirthed by a baptism of war and plague and it will cause a god to arise and as we all know for those of us who've been discussing our lower beardy stuff for a while the Mm. birth of a god requires something that is hand in hand not really possible for lizardmen and that's passion yeah so actual hatred something that the lizardmen don't really know yeah and the so the slot chocolate do two things that are actually very interesting and kind of put into mind that you could tell they must have had some disagreements with one another uh, is that they decide two things one to seal away this plaque and two is to not think about it they very deliberately agree with one another that they have to put it out of their mind because it notes that they're afraid the other slon will see their thoughts Mm. and go what is that we want to see it and declare it to be destroyed because they would look at it and go, this can't be possible. It's, this it's must be a mistake. Heretical. Yeah, it, it's yeah. heretical. It goes against everything they've been taught, particularly the older ones. Yeah, so the Slot of Chakwa go, Ugh, yeah, we don't, like, they seem to put enough value in it that they say we don't want it to be destroyed, but we're also not sure about it. So you know what? We'll come back around to it later. So put it away. So it's put away. Um, so disease starts showing up in the jungle. Later comes. Yeah. <laughs> later <And> comes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we'll put that yeah. away to later. It's never actually going to happen. And then everything that the plaque says is potentially going to happen arrives at Chakwa. Yep. So the skinks start encountering the Skaven in the jungles. The Skaven are getting more bold, more ambitious, and they start having actual fights. And eventually the skinks successfully capture a Skaven um, and the Slon go, oh, okay, we want to, especially the Slon of Chakwa, they're alarmed because they realize, uh-oh, we've heard about this. And say so they go, okay, bring bring one of those rat guys here. Like, we want to see it. And so the Skinks bring a single Skaven to Chakwa, and it was a huge mistake. Big mistake. Because that Skaven it was functionally a virus bomb. Yeah. And he brings with him the yellow-eyed fever. Uh, which is is a brutal disease that apps that the Skaven designed for the lizard men. And it is extremely effective. 
Yeah. Um, it is decimating the skink population. Um, the Saurus are having a hard time with it. Crocsaurs are having a time with it. But the bad thing is it infects the Slon. And the Slon die. And the Slon are dying. And the last thing they do is that they call out the, they, they tell their attendants, bring, bring the plaque, bring us that plaque. And they look at it and they go, oh, it's happening. But they're very, very sick. They've got pus leaking out of their eyes. They have these horrible fevers, so they can't think very well. And the lizardmen know they're dying. So the temple guard pick up all the slon and take them down into a chamber where they will be sealed away forever so that no one can get to their bodies and mess with them. And they can functionally become relic priests. And the slon are trying to communicate with the slon of the other temple cities to warn them. But because of their fevers, basically it's gibberish. Like yeah. the other slon cannot figure out what they're trying to say. And the last thing they see before they are entombed is it, they look up with roomy eyes and they see a twin-tailed comet just barely visible in the very, very furthest reaches of the sky. And they go, it's happening. And then the doors are shut and they die. So this immediately dates it for us all. For those of you out there looking for your twin-tailed comet references, this is the same twin-tailed comet that heralds the birth of Sigmar. So we're talking at around about 30 years before zero I, uh, IC when the empire is born. So around about 2,500 years before the end of the Warhammer world, around about 2,300 years before the coming of chaos and Warhammer old world. Um, so this is an enormous event. Um, one of the reasons that this uh, this single event that occurs here is arguably one of the most important is because it's the first evolution of the species, um, where beforehand it was nothing more than a step-by-step -step creation of the old ones that was designed for specific jobs and was never repurposed. Uh, there's lots of discussions about how some of the species that were created near the end of the old one's interference into the Warhammer world were created to help try and deal with the incoming cataclysm. Um, so say, for example, the ogres and the halflings were built in a specific way and redesigned genetically in a specific way to help combat the chaos that was to come. The lizardmen weren't. They were designed for what came beforehand. They mm -hmm. were not designed for a world full of magic flooding through from the chaos poles. Um, but this is the first actual point of evolution because our uh, somewhat ferocious red-crested skinks that live in this particular city uh, do not like what happened. And let's make, let's make this clear why that is important. Yeah. They are upset. They yeah, are they, not. They have feelings. <laughs> yeah, they, they are really upset. They have had thousands of years of development from what they were before. They were already a relatively warlike set of skinks anyway. Um, as skinks went, they had been slowly building up a certain amount of passion and anger as they defended their forests against the worst of what lay beyond. Their jungles, pardon me. Um, but now they are actively upset. And in particular, one of them is arguably not just actively upset, but one word that we discussed a little bit earlier, passionate. Yeah. And for those wondering about like, what the hell is this whole red crested thing? There is a thing in the Lizardmen where the Saurus, Skinks, and depending on which version of the lore you look at, even Croxigors, can be spawned with what are called sacred spawnings or blessed spawnings, which... Before the red-crested skinks, um, they it was a common concept that sometimes a generation of lizardmen would come emerge from the spawning pools together, and they would have a very unique crest 
or they would have some kind of marking like their scales would be a different color or a different shape. And it would indicate that they were blessed by one of the old ones and they were there to perform a very, very specific task. Yep. So you might see like the blessed spawnings of Tepok would emerge and they would have like purple scales and like weird little designs and they would have a very natural affinity with the winds of magic, uh, either repelling it or drawing it to them if they were wizards um, and stuff like that. So that was like a common concept. But these red crested skinks are very weird because the Lizard of Chakwa don't know of an old one that's with this color with this shape they couldn't place it so they just didn't really worry about it but these red crested skinks have been appearing for a little while um they didn't start emerging right here they'd actually been around for a while but yeah. nobody really got what they were and they were at first they were unique to chakwa and i think it's fair to say that um the reason that they didn't understand it was because the plaques the uh the step-by-step -step process of the great plan that was put in place had been locked away the yeah. slant had purposely pushed it aside. They weren't aware of what it was that was building in Chakwa, which was effectively the first steps towards birthing their own god. The first actual steps from the lizardman moving from a species that was pre-cataclysm to post-cataclysm, where they were embracing the new world and everything that it represented with the coming of chaos, which is, in many respects, the birthing of gods. And uh, mm. a birthing of a god that was not antagonistic to the Lizardmen, not only not antagonistic, but in fact represented the Lizardmen's purpose. Yep. So, uh, let's meet our titular character, Daniel. Hey! Uh, well, Hinoen... took us, what, about eight hours? An hour. An hour. There we go. <laughs> hey, we're, we're, that's that's part of the course for the way these character videos. I think you're all used to that by yeah. now. <laughs> so, to Hinoen, to kind of build the scene, uh, red crested skinks are larger than regular skinks. Uh, just not by a ton. Like on average, probably like six inches taller, generally speaking. But they're more muscular. They're more aggressive. They're more prone to fighting in combat and having a more um, not bestial in the sense that they're like dumber, but bestial in the sense that they will throw down. Savage, right? um, yeah, and Tehenuin stands ahead above all other skakes. He is huge, he's rippled with muscle. He very bizarrely has a split tail, uh, he has a twin tail instead of a regular one. Mm -hmm. Uh, and his crest is enormous. Um, he has this giant, big old, like almost like a like a fin from a fish type scale, uh, like a shark's fin, and he is he has demonstrated that he is gifted with magic so he is a part of the priesthood he is he is a skink priest but he has a very weird position within the priesthood because unlike a lot of the other skink priests who are far more uh typical you know they're a little skinks on average tend to be uh, somewhat skittish um it's just part of their nature and uh they're far more about deliberating and stuff he was prone to giving speeches which is he would give what you would best describe as oratories where he would go out and he would talk a lot about ideas and concepts and try. And, you know, at first he would be gathering crowds of red crested skinks, but even other kinds of lizardmen started to be drawn to these kind of fiery speeches he would give about the old ones, about what they're doing, about all these things. And when the slon die, it's worth noting, like Andy said, the, the rest of the population has been decimated. Mm -hmm. The only part of the city that seemed resistant to the disease were the red crested skinks. The Saurus sickened and died. 
the Croxagore sickened and died. The Slon sickened and died. All of the non-Red Crested Skinks sickened and died. But to Hennuin and his followers, being the Red Crested Skinks, they were seemingly immune, or at least yeah. very resistant. So um, I think it's worth taking a, a slight pause here to stand up and drop outside and add a couple of general overworld facts here. Um, facts is not necessarily the best world. Suggestions. So number yes. one. Um, clearly our red crested skinks are different to the other skinks so clearly this spawning this version of skinks have picked up something that the others didn't have and it's quite clear if you just take a look at the overall lore loosely what's happening here this is the first set of actual lizardmen who are becoming quite effuse with one of the winds of magic um here in particular the red wind and to a degree the amber wind is exceedingly strong within them the red wing of passion of fire of fighting aggression that's the red wind to its core it's the wind of fire as many respect of it with the lore of fire um and this is the first time that it's the winds or indeed perhaps what it may have been before this point because we have a, a loose understanding of how the lore exactly moves from pre to post versions of magic this is the first time that we are possibly seeing real proper use of the winds of magic in a different way so rather than the calculated simple way of the geomantic version of magic that leads up towards high magic the various winds perhaps being seen as a perversion of what lay before we're actually seeing the winds being embraced and accepted by a part of the lizardman species and that brings emotion that brings bigger lizardmen who are angrier who have got purpose and metaphorically these are the lizardmen that survive metaphorically all of the other lizardmen the lizardmen that came from the other spawnings the old lizardmen of the creation of the old ones are dying out of disease and the ones that are surviving are the ones that are representative of this new world this version of the world where the lizardmen are going to move on and become like the other species of the warhammer world a species with their own gods and these lizardmen succeed but it's worth saying at this point, they're not going to see what's about to happen as much of a success because their city has just fallen to disease. They are now outcast from their disease-ridden hellhole that they've got to flee as the Skaven come up behind them. They're on the run. Yeah. So to anyone, this is going to be the first time he de demonstrates a power that we're actually going to touch on a couple times because it's really important and also kind of demonstrates in a lot of ways how scary and unique he is, which is that to is blessed with knowledge that he should not necessarily have. Mm -hmm. um, and what he does is when the, the Slon fall and the city is functionally going to fall into chaos and utterly abandoned because the Slon have died very suddenly. Tehinuin goes, wait. And he goes to the temple, the, the great pyramid of Chakwa, and without, he did not know where the plaques were buried. Nobody told him, but he knows and he delves deep into Chakwa's vaults and he finds the sacred plaque of Chakwa, which has the prophecy of Sotek on it. And he picks it up and he reads it and he immediately understands it. How? And I think that's a really important question. The answer is as clear as crystal. Um, all it takes is a step back to understand what the Lizardmen are. The Lizardmen are a creation of the old ones. The Lizardmen were given a great plan, and the great plan was for this to occur. 
How could he read it? Because he was always supposed to be able to read it. He was of the generation of those red-crested skinks that were in place that had developed enough to be able to understand it. They are a genetically modified, genetically created species. This was always supposed to happen. That was written on the plaque itself. When he picked up that plaque, he basically saw his own life writ before him. Everything that had just reached to this point was there, and then everything that is to come to pass is also there. And what is about to come is actually horrific, because what is required <clears throat> to birth a god is not simple shit. It is no. horrible, because it requires, well, to begin with, running. <laughs> yeah, so anyone comes out, he holds up the plaques. He, it's literally, there's a big joke in the Total War community where everyone likes to call Tanuin Lizard Moses. And this is his coming and off the mountain moment with, with, really with the Ten Commandments. And he's like, all right, I got I got our guidebook. Uh, mm -hmm. I know what we must do. Follow me. We And to him, Tanuin knows what's about to come is war. Um, an incredible war. The, a war the likes of which the Lizardmen have not seen since the Great Cataclysm itself. Yep. And he knows for a war, he needs soldiers. So Tehenuin says, follow me. We must go forth. We must spread the word of Sotek, who is our God. I have, I have found his word, and I am his prophet, and we must bring his word to the rest of our kin, to the rest of our kind. And remember, many of the lizardmen at this point don't have handy slans sitting over them telling them what to do. Many of them are effectively isolated communities, some of them sitting in ancient cities that have collapsed and fallen without any real leadership. Others of whom in other areas um, uh, are basically devolved. They've got no real Ooh, understanding you, of what they're there for. Oh, Michael, you wrong. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that. They have really no conception at all um, uh, many of the lizardmen of what they are, who they're from. The idea of some great firebrand arriving and proselytizing about the birth of a great god to come, Sotek, the god of the lizardmen, is coming. Follow me and we will make it happen with wow. Yeah, and there are some really cool notes about this period in Tehenuin's life where uh, Tehenuin, like, he so he leads this massive column of red crested skinks out of the ruins of Chakwa. They leave everything behind they don't need. He says, bring your weapons, uh, bring like some banners and stuff. Uh, nothing else matters. The city no longer matters. Come with me. And they all march out. And um, and the Skaven at this point have they've been revealed, like they've started to fight with Lizardmen, they've spread everywhere, and now they start to attack genuinely. And the Slon, because of what happened to Chakwa, the Slon get enough of a heads up that the Slon say, okay, don't bring any Skaven into the temple cities. We cannot risk the disease spreading among the populace. We cannot risk the disease spreading to us in particular. Do not bring them into the cities. Kill them outside of the cities. Do not let them in. And the Slon, to them, they begin to think because none of them knew the Skaven were coming because they did not have access to the prophecy of Sotek. So the Slon begin to ruminate about what the hell is going on. This is unexpected. This is not supposed to happen. Um, it's fair, though, um, just to you know, defend the Slon's corner a little bit, because uh, this won't be the first time this has happened. And indeed, it's one of the reasons why they're so stymied by indecision. And that's because large parts of their plaques have gone. They've been yes. destroyed. 
Um, they have an incomplete version of the great plan. They just know that the great plan has the steps that they currently hold and that some things lie outside the great plan. As far as they're concerned, this entire fucking war lies outside the great plan, as does these marauding crazies who are moving through the nature of Lustria bursting into war as Ratman Ratman rise everywhere across Lustria. And there is a bunch of marauding crazy skinks running around doing things that skinks aren't supposed to do. But don't think of this as them going, well, look at those ones. We're all going to talk about it at this point of the war. And for quite a large part of the war, they don't even give them a second thought because there's skinks everywhere doing things that don't really make any great deal of sense. Because skinks are without control, a lesser order of lizardmen as far as the slan are concerned, and they're constantly falling about themselves doing silly stuff. But there's one big difference between most of them and uh, our good old red-crested lot, and that's that they, well, they have passion. Yeah, so Tehenuin at this stage in the war, which is pretty early, also awesome lion. That is a huge comment. Holy uh, Cremolians! Thank you, thank you for the bits. Uh, but yes, I'm glad that in your your campaign, Volkmar is having team uh, <laughs> team anti chaos party with Tehenuin. Go go get it. Just ki keep killing. Just remember, keep killing rats that Tehenuin doesn't like, and eventually he'll accept your friend request. Uh, but in any <laughs> event, um, so. Tehenuin starts showing up in cities. And for, for the Slon, like Andy said, this is weird. This is unprecedented. This is a whole nother issue on top of the Skaven. This weird-looking skink shows up, and he starts giving speeches on the on the pyramids, in the squares. And the Red Crested Skinks are like, come see Tehenuin, come see Tehenuin. And all the skinks, source the scores are like, what is happening? What is going on? And they show up, and he starts giving these speeches. And like Andy said, the very nature of Tehenuin almost starts to because of in you could argue because of his speeches gathering the different winds it starts to kind of wake the lizardmen up yeah it starts to introduce emotions to the lizardmen and they start to go yeah yeah this guy's right this is fucked up we need to and kill these rats is freaking weird um particularly from the slam mage priests who are cold they are calm they are centered and they're looking on at this excitement that lies down in the, the squares below them with not just what is this shit, just more loose confusion. It's a little bit like looking at a bunch of ants running faster. They're like, yeah. why are the ants running faster? This is really interesting. <laughs> Normally ants just move along nice little paths and they pick up some leaves and they go back again. But now they're just running around in circles. That's not what I told them to do. Well, that... Why are they doing that? Um, but, slan, but Slan being Slan, they don't immediately go, well, I must stop this. Um, they, they contemplate the Yeah, they go, I need to slan. think about this. Yeah, we, um, uh, we, we, we must deliberate this. Are our defenses being short? Well, not only are our defenses being shored up, but I would argue they're fighting a bit better than they were before. This is also interesting. Why have all the ants now run up to the walls and they're working in different ways. Why, why are so many of the skinks fighting? Yeah. And I didn't tell them to do that either. Oh. Yeah. There's another uh, another interesting thing that happens is that red-crested skinks begin to spawn in other cities. Mm -hmm. They start to show up places before Tehenuin gets there. And they are also, Tehenuin tends to show up at very auspicious times. 
Yep. There are notes that like uh, the various temple cities find themselves under attack by Skaven and the Saurus are defending the walls and disease has already infiltrated the skink populations. Yep. And yep. while the Slon have enacted using their sorceries and their understanding of science, the Slon have figured out ways to counteract the disease. Yep. Um, however, they can't save all the skinks. And so the skinks in particular are falling prey to the Skaven diseases until Tehenuin shows up and Tehenuin like starts teaching them and giving these speeches and firing them up. And one of the things that Tehenuin said that's super interesting is that Tehenuin actually starts to point out the flaws of the Slon, where he's not going against them in the sense that he's saying, oh, let's rise up against them. But he says, you cannot wait for them to tell you what to do. You must act now. You must act with yes. me. You must act of your own volition. You cannot wait for the Slon to tell you what the plan is. You must take the reins of fate, take up your arms, and go fight these disgusting vermin. Help yeah. me kill them. I'd, I'd give a slightly different angle, but it's only slightly different in terms of how, uh, ways to interpret this. And it's hmm. not so much that he points out the flaws of the Slan. It's more that he contradicts the Slan. Hmm. So the That's Slan um, may be sitting in inaction or alternatively doing a great ritual without talking to anyone and doing what Slan do, not telling anyone why they have to do what they have to do. They're just, you know, they're the overlords and they just give orders and expect them to be responded to. And none of the skinks understand why they're being told to do things. They just do whatever they're told to do. So the Slan are doing their things and he comes along and starts providing fast, sharp, different orders. And the, that, that causes confusion and chaos and importantly this is chaos small c but also to a degree big c because this is bringing the winds of magic it is doing things um if you want to see uh if you want to see a central metaphor of what this one lizardman does to an entire species is that he brings it brings arguably because there's no really he's or yeah she's yeah there's bad. no really no he's it's, 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 <laughs> ba it's bad language throughout the um army list as well because it does assign everyone as a he which is just a bit weird they're, but, they're regardless, all but anyway they're, they're, they're all technically just let's say yeah, they don't, they don't, whatever they don't, yeah they don't have gender at all <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just they're um yeah. yeah quite but uh what this individual does that none of the others had done is that it they it brings passion to the entire species including to a degree the slan but i would argue the slan in their incorruptible place they're not <laughs> they're not changed by the winds of magic. What ha instead happens is they see the swirl and they are then presented with a problem. And that problem is, is this a part of the great plan or is it not? And if it is, then we've been doing everything wrong up to this point, because up to this point, we weren't preparing for the birth of a God. Yeah. And it's, it's also worth saying that the Slan are uncomfortable with a couple of things and the Slan do not like discomfort. It's a very unusual thing for them. And whenever something happens that they were not expecting, it genuinely deeply concerns them. Like when yeah. the tsunami destroyed Chupyodal, the Slon had no idea that was going to happen. And that was that's noted to the Slon as the first time they realized the Great Plan does not necessarily tell them everything. Or they might be missing key parts and they go, yeah. oh, the unknown is a thing. Like un the unknown being, the future being unknown was introduced as a concept to the Slon only a few thousand years ago, which is a pretty spooky thought. It's a horrible thought for them in many respects because um, 
you've got to realize that from the science perspective, it's not that the future is unknown, it's that the future is partially known. And that's worse because you've got a whole host of events that are to come to to pass but some of them aren't attached to dates some of them aren't attached to particular events because they're missing the string of events that lead up to it because they the particular plaques for those have been lost but what is particularly clear is that from the beginning after the cataclysm of time as the warmer world understands it there was an end point potentially coming that could have been avoided and that the great plan was dealing with that and what to do if it can't be avoided that's basically the great plan for want of a better description. What happens if chaos wins or chaos loses and how mm. to deal with it? And it lays it all out. And it's this enormous pyramid of deeds that leads to a single point. But there's huge chunks of that missing. And the slammed great debate is what's inside these gaps? What, what do we need to do to ensure that bit comes up? Because it's a plan. And if you don't do everything that requires the plan, certain things that should come to pass might not. So you've got to scrabble to try and ensure those parts do come to pass through a different means. Yeah. And in the, in the end, thing, though, time is fixed. So yeah. that scrabbling, the old one's new. Yeah. And the other thing that's uh, important about the Slon at this stage is that initially the Slon are not fans of Tehinuin. He brings uh, he brings very bizarre new things. Uh, he is encouraging like what they see as recklessness because to anyone doesn't seem to be deliberating or thinking. And to the salon, what's 10 years? What's yeah. 50 years? Those yeah. are blinks. But to the skinks, that's a lifetime and they are dying horribly. They need action now. But the salon are going, the salon are because, especially because they're in uncertain waters, they're trying to very carefully say, we can't just act because we have to act the right way. We can't risk making the wrong decision, which is and a you want to know what they saw as the wrong decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to Hinnewin, there there's one other key part of his speech we haven't oh, really yeah. on yet. <laughs> to Hinnewin has one key thing he encourages all lizardmen to do. He mm -hmm. says we must kill Skaven, but preferably it's not enough to kill them in combat. We must capture them. We must capture them alive in their yep. thousands, their tens of thousands, and we must sacrifice them to Sotek because Sotek is hungry and Sotek needs to feed. He needs to be fed the souls of vermin and their blood so that he can grow enough in power to be birthed into the, our world and devour the rat god himself. And he will devour him and the rat god will languish in his guts digested for thousands of years. And Doesn't the go, fine. Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, so so to say that this is arguably one of the bloodiest periods of the Warhammer world is to actually give it somewhat of a disservice. The entirety of Lustria is at war. All of it. Not corners, not bits, all of it. There are that many ratmen. They've arrived, they have spawned, they have spawned, they have spawned. Skaven breed quick and they have yeah. spawned and they have spawned and to make matters worse once the war begins they breed quicker they're spawning and they're spawning and they're all coming out from one area and spreading across every last corner of this particular continent and in response 
the mage priests do what the mage priests have always done, and that is the orchestrated offence. They put up mm -hmm. their big spindly arms, they put up great shields, they orchestrate the walls, they push everything back, they try to ensure that their people are not affected by yeah. the disease, they work to the great plan, which is to protect what they have. But this is not what Tehenuin suggests. Yeah, Tehenuin says we must be off war! Um, He's charging around from place to place to place with his red-crested uh, skinks leading everywhere that they can. And in time, it's not just him that's shouting from the tops of the battlements. It's many skinks. They are all passing on the message that they have to not just go to war with the Skaven, not just kill them. They have to drag them kicking and screaming, brutally sacrifice them, lift up their guts to the gods yep. in supplication and not worship, but it's a call. It's feeding the gods. And they're doing it and they are screaming, they are screaming their uh, demands to this god to come and save them from this disease. They are moving from being a species that was as cold as ice without any real emotion at all, with an intellect that was pure heish, if you're looking at the winds of magic. But it's moving from beyond that to taking in pretty much all aspects of all winds and demanding that the gods manifest, and it changes them. Yep. And there is a really interesting head uh, only about like 20 or 30 years into the war, which is it's a 100-year war. It's a long, brutal yeah. war. And... um. The Slan reach a point where they get, you could argue, almost disgusted or at least disturbed by what Tehenuin is doing. Mm -hmm. And they come to an agreement in all of the living temple cities and tell Tehenuin, you may not do that in our cities. You may not bring Skaven into our cities for risk of disease. We don't yep. want any sacrifices performed in our cities. We, we've tolerated this, but this has gone far enough. Yep. And Tehenuin looked, and what's fascinating is that what they expect is for Tehenuin to back down and he doesn't. Nope. Tehenuin quite literally looks at the Slon, who to many skinks are living gods and he says fine I will take my sacrifices elsewhere and he leads his armies back out into the jungles and instead of sacrificing on the temples of the Lishman cities he brings Skaven sacrifices to forgotten temples. He leads his armies to the jungles. They and Tehenuin is a terrifying opponent for the Skaven because what's really interesting is that, like Andy said, the Slon fight defensively. Skaven know how to deal with defensive opponents. They fought That's pretty much before. how they work. Yeah, that is their favorite bread and butter. The mm -hmm. enemy that hides in a seemingly impenetrable hold. Skaven love that. Tehenuin, though, is an ambush predator. Yep. He goes in the jungles and there's, we actually have some really fun notes from like the Lustria book and the old sixth edition book about his battle tactics of that. He surrounds like Skaven marching columns or cities twin tail. Yeah, with like a big twin tailed uh, formation that then comes in from all sides and the Skaven get, they do not have a good time, but the yeah. war is brutal. A lot of lizardmen die, but the lizardmen are changing. It's at first, it's just the red crested skinks. Then it's mm -hmm. all the skinks. Then yep. it's the Saurus. Then yep. it's the Croxagors, which is insane. Like red-crested Saurus are being spawned. Yep. And even the elder Saurus, who like debatably Saurus tend to get almost more, not, not automatonish, but they get more assured and more kind of, uh, they get more, um, I don't know the right word for it. 
but like their savagery becomes far more cooled off as they mm-hmm. age. Um, even they start to get all fired up and Tehenawin goes out of his way to invite them. There are notes that when Tehenawin performs these great rituals, like they capture a, like what's notable is whenever they capture like a Skaven warlord or a plague priest, he will send envoys via Pterodon or Hornburn riders or whatever and say, Hey, go find the, the general of the nearest army and bring him to me. And so they'll go and this source will show up and to anyone says, I want you by my side for this speech. I want you to join me. And he'll give this great fiery speech. And then when the moment comes with the sacrifice, he gives the blade to the source old blood. And he says, you do the offering. You make the sacrifice to Sotek. And the Saurus participate and they start getting, they start getting fired up. All the lizardmen start getting aggressive. They're no longer staying in the cities. They're marching out into the jungles. They're mm-hmm. attacking the Skaven under the, mm-hmm. the underway. Like they're going crazy. And the Skaven are like, Jesus, what the fuck is happening? These lizardmen are really aggressive. I think it's worth adding one extra clear. And I, we, it's implicit in much of what we said, but let's make it explicit. What other clear difference between um, Tehenwin and the other skinks? He's a really good general. Now, this is normally left in the hands of the warriors, the Saurus. Now, the skinks may be the ones who tell them where to go because they're the ones with the imagination. But the proper get-down-on-the-ground captains, your uh, your strategy rather, rather than the, the tactics, pardon, rather than the overall strategy, um, he's not just a strategy chap. He's a tactician chap. He can take on both parts. He has evolved. He is different. Um, and he also is willing to do things that the mage priest might have not suggested, like grab hold some of the old weapons of the old ones and use them. Yeah. Um, so annihilating Skaven in their thousands. That's the next big beat. So to Hennewin, um he goes further than just giving fiery oratories. He goes further. He goes so far because he's He's actively encouraging the lizardmen to join him. And it's worth noting, there were holdouts. Like, there are lizardmen that prefer, they're like, oh, no, this is too different. Like, we don't understand. And Tehenwin goes, no, let me prove it to you. Let me prove to you that Sotek is real and that this is the will of the old ones. And he goes, stay here. And he wandered into the jungle, and I think he goes for three days and three nights. And when he returns, (laughs) yes, of course he does. And when he (laughs) returns, uh, depending on which version of the story, uh, because in the original illustrious version, he returns on an Arcanodons, which are a super awesome long-necked dinosaur that I hope we get back one day. Uh, But in the more modern versions, he merely returns on ancient Stegodons. But on each of their backs are these giant cosmic engines that the Lizardmen have not seen in a very long time, where most of them don't even know what they are. And they're known as the engines of the old ones. Uh, and these engines of the gods, like not only have the Lizardmen not seen them forever, they are sacred artifacts that the Slon have strictly forbidden being used because yeah. they see they're too valuable. They don't want them broken. But Tehenawin not only gets a bunch of them, he goes, this is how you use them. And he goes, beep, boop, boop. And he hits like this configuration of controls. And they let out these blasts of pure light that incinerates any Skaven that are standing too close. While miraculous of the gods! I do have Um, to bring up that comment because I agree. (laughs) While miraculously, (laughs) not only does it incinerate the enemies of the Lizardmen, but it doesn't hurt any of the actual Lizardmen. Oh my God, that's such a hammond. <laughs> uh, so uh, thanks very much. Like it, um, it's it's like the might of the gods themselves is reaching down and smacking, smiting these groups of Skaven while leaving the lizardmen completely unharmed. 
it's even protecting them. Yeah, indeed. It's also worth just on the old serpent front. Um, uh, Tehenuans, um strongly associated with snakes in general um, in that snakes were often rising up and keeping the rats at bay. Um, the, so the, the infiltration, if you will, of the Skaven through all their little agents were held back by all the snakes. In many respects, they're almost the anti-legend of Ireland where the snakes are driven back. But in this case, it's the rats are driven back by the alternative species. Um, uh, so that's always a fun little aside yeah and that's into the gods that would arguably that would arguably be the first miracle that tehenuin porn performs is that the 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 serpents and that he has a carpet of serpents following him around being alongside his army that like andy says is actively protecting them from the skaven Mm -hmm. the skaven rely very much on stealth you can't stealth your way through the jungle if the ground and the trees are covered in serpents they're going to see you they're going to bite you they're going to poison you and their venom, despite the fact Clan Pestilence is very resistant to disease, these snakes almost have like a divine venom that yeah. is killing them despite their disease, uh, their protection against poison and disease. And interestingly, uh, to anyone himself, absolutely immune to poison and to arguably uh, a further degree disease as well, because disease is not really a rule. Yeah, as are all the red crested. Uh, yeah, um, quite. And, and that passes out down through the entirety of his particular spawning and the spawnings that come afterwards. This is the great plan made manifest uh you know somehow uh may, may, <laughs> i don't i don't think to anyone gets much time for gaming he's pretty busy these days but uh, yeah so the war continues on and uh to anyone keeps telling them we need more it's not enough sotek needs more he needs more he needs millions Mm-hmm. millions of skaven must be sacrificed mm-hmm. and we even start seeing a lot of really awesome special characters showing up that are around literally every lizardman special character you know and love participate yeah. of that nakai shows up like nakai the wanderer shows up and fights alongside to in a battle against the beast of clan pestilence which mm-hmm. was a rat ogre that was so infused with disease that it had swelled up to an incredible size and nobody could get close to it without just like collapsing dead or being ripped apart and mm-hmm. Nakai and it literally have a kaiju battle uh, with Tehenuin being like, yeah, get him <laughs> in the background. And Tehenuin starts unleashing horrific amounts of magic. Skink priests are pretty capable wizards. Tehenuin leaves them in the dust. Yep. Like his magical power, there is a, there, uh, unfortunately, the uh, the Thankful series is amazing. The Thankful trilogy. The second book, which is called uh, The Temple of Serpents. Um, is about a Tehenuin-like character. It's not Tehenuin himself, because when the book was written, Tehenuin was a little different. He had died of old age eventually, whereas in the modern lore, he's immortal. Um, He's basically King Arthur. He comes back whenever required to protect the realm. (laughs) Yeah, so, so, but like that character, the the stand-in Tehenuin character in the Thankful book has Tehenuin's level of magical power. And it's noted in the book that it's terrifying. Like yeah. Thankwell is a very powerful Gracier, and he's even got like a Clan Eshin wizard with him, and the two of them are very strong. And this prophet of Sotek mops the floor with them, like yeah. he is unstoppable as a wizard. In terms of the um, step-by-step processes we're seeing for the species as a whole, if we again lift ourselves out and try to look at it from the outside, um, we have reached a point where the uh, Skink priests are proper warhammer top tier spellcasters um they've reached a point where they're proper capable um and again that speaks to a difference in how the lizardmen are changing 
um, where beforehand you could argue that they were still living in the old pre-cataclysm world uh, where the geomantic web was the source of their power and that was how everything worked through the old world's plan and now they're using chaos magic against their enemies directly and they're not just doing it in a small amount they are terrifyingly capable at it and again this comes about because of the new spawnings that have over multiple generations adapted one could argue within this magic suffused, this saturated realm, and spawning after spawning after spawning has occurred. And we've finally arrived at the point where we've got spawnings that are capable of tapping through into the full breadth of what the winds of magic offer. But equally, that has come hand in hand with a change in the species itself, which is in many respects personified by Tehenuin, who is not just another skink who just sits there and calculates what comes next, attempting to understand the will of the slan. Quite the opposite. A free-thinking, passionate, active, angry, vengeful creature who believes without any doubt in the plan of the old ones. And that's something that is easy to forget. Because there's this uh, often feeling that somehow... Hey, Eddie, like, tap your mic real quick. It's a little muffled. Am I a little muffled? Is that better? Yeah, no, nah, yeah, you're good now. Okay, I, I must have just had it pointed the wrong way. Um, I apologize. Um, he's uh he's he's still a part of the great plan, but that was the step that the slan took some time to recognize. Yeah, so the next major thing, so the engines of the gods are unleashed, and we're getting closer to like 70, 80 years into the war. And at this point, once the engine of the gods especially come out and Tehenuin start, he doesn't just unleash those. He also unleashes the arcs of Sotek, which are these <laughs> bizarre weapons that the Lizardmen did not know how they functioned. They didn't know what they were for. And all of a sudden, Tehenuin unleashes these Bastilodons with these weird devices on them. Tehenuin goes, watch. And he activates them, teaching other skinks how to activate them. And when they activate, they pour a seemingly endless amount of serpents out of the holes in the device that will just swarm over the battlefield and start like devouring the Skaven or biting them and stuff. And Tehenuin starts setting up constructions. He starts telling them, we must find great mighty serpents and feed the Skaven to them live. We must build wells and fill them with carpets of serpents, throw the Skaven in screaming where they will be ripped up to pieces by these vermin. Like just He's these absolutely bloody man. Yeah, horrific, <laughs> horrific forms of ritual sacrifice. Um, it's worth noting as well that um, in terms of influence, this eventually comes to some later Skaven artifacts with the black arcs that the Skaven use at a later date, um, much later, it must be said, um, and became, but were originally a part of some of the very early lore for the Skaven with the Life Master Terror, the Life Lich Master stuff. Um, and that uh, seeped through the earliest Skaven books and is still alive and amongst some Skaven lore today um, as uh, and has been to a degree ret retroactively attached to it originally coming from the Lizardmen and the horror of what they unleashed and them coming up with their own versions because if there's anything that the Skaven do that see a weapon and try to make their own version of it often involving large turnstiles with rats in them and lightning clashing out of it yeah it's green <laughs> yeah so uh eventually uh the war starts coming to an end and this is like to anyone's got everybody except for the slon at this point 
on his side. The Slaughter's still not participating. They actually will not join the war at all um, until afterwards. But uh, to Hanawin, like he's even got Krokgar now. Krokgar, the ancient Scar leader, the leader mm-hmm. of Lustria's armies, mm-hmm. be- it becomes like he is converted by Tehenuin. And Tehenuin invites Krokgar to so many ritual sacrifices that Krokgar is credited with having the most ritual kills next to only Tehenuin. And over a thousand Skaven warlords alone. Yeah. Just like just warlords. That's nothing to do with all the rest that he killed. A thousand Skaven warlords. Holy shit balls. Yeah. And so, and I mean, think about that. You have <laughs> the mightiest Saurus alive who has two border, like who has the weapon of an old one as his weapon. And he's also got like old one tech for an arm. And he shows up and is using Tlunxla's spear of one of the war gods of the old ones to ritually sacrifice for Sotek. That symbolically, and Tehenwin knows this, symbolically that is fucking huge. That is huge. Um, But the war finally boils up to two final battles. The first is the Battle of Wakmo Crater. It's a big one. This one is Tehenwin pulls off a master stroke where he lures the Skaven into... They unleash the biggest army they can possibly make. The Skaven, uh, Nurglitch the first, Lord Nurglitch, the, the big bad OG one, uh, finally has had enough and calls upon all of Clan Pestilence to return and to march out of the city of Quetzal, out of, well, under Quetzal, I guess, to uh, take the war to the Lizardmen and defeat this Tehenuin once and for all. And, respect, um, it's also over Quetzal because it's something that the, they don't live necessarily is the same way that they do back in the old world. Different culture here. Yeah. And they march out into this. Tehenuin leads them into this giant crater. I think it's like 100 miles across yeah, or some crazy shit. Uh, and the crater is literally full of Skaven. And the moment the last of the Skaven army walks into this crater and they're probably attacking a small distraction lizardman force, Tehenuin gives the signal and the lizardmen swarm in from all sides of the crater. It's awesome. Uh, with Krokgar and everybody. It's a giant epic battle. And the Skaven panic because they're a rat caught in a trap yep and what's notable is to manages to catch the vast majority of them alive uh and he marches a army of sacrifices that is miles long just miles and miles and miles of imprisoned skaven he takes them to an altar deep in the jungle that is overgrown and uh has been is some forgotten old one and he uh, sacrifices uh, uh, worth noting some forgotten old god Old God, yeah, that's yeah, fair. It's worth noting in a similar fashion that you get things like, say, the Iron Circlet being um, attached to an ancient old god or old civilization. So something that's sort of proto everything, which is interesting. Yep, and he starts sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing. It takes him. Di- it takes him weeks, I think. Um, and he sac- he kills so many Skaven that the Rimmer Amazon, which is a bigger version of the Amazon River in our world runs red with blood. Although, which, note, many um, pronounce that one as just Amazon, because X's are often pronounced as Z's. That's fair. Yeah. For the sake of not confusing y'all, I'm going yeah, to pronounce it differently. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, quite. So, um, that, indeed, you still get Amazons, after all, in, in that's Warhammer. That's true. That's true. Yeah, uh, though, do. weirdly, they don't spell it with an X. But they don't spell Amazon. it with an X there, which really <laughs> annoys me. But, it, yeah, it, like, 
consistency games workshop come on uh yeah, i know so uh the river runs red with blood and this is when tanwin reaches the height of his power during the war um mm-hmm. he becomes he like it's said that his magic in particular seems to grow the more sacrifices he makes showing sotek's favor uh and at this point he says all right the time has come let's wipe him out and so the oh, lizardmen, this great wave of wizardmen starts to descend on Ketza, and Nurglitch goes, we are fucked. <laughs> we need to get the hell out of here. So uh, they emerge from Ketza to discover they're already surrounded. And uh, so Nurglitch decides to do what Skaven do best. He takes the portion of his army he doesn't <laughs> care about, and he leaves them behind to die. <laughs> And run, 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 yeah. flee, run, flee. He, t- he tells, I think it's like he tells about a quarter or half of all the pestilence to stay behind, uh, telling them, Oh, yeah, we're you know, we're gonna go, we're gonna go this way and we'll come back around and reinforce you guys. No, run, flee, run. <laughs> yeah, he the Skaven basically turned themselves into a bowling ball and just smashed through a part of the Lizardman army and mm-hmm. do a running, a fighting retreat all the way to the coast. The eastern yep. coast which is hundreds of miles and it's noted that this is a disgustingly brutal fight because to says do not let them get away and it's a fight the entire way it's a running battle over the course of hundreds of miles with the skaven fleeing for their lives and the lizardmen trying to exterminate them yep and eventually we arrive at the i think it's the squirt no it might be the Scorpion Coast. I don't think it's the Scorpion Coast. I forget which coast it is. But we arrive at the coast just next to the island known as the Fuming, Ser- the Fuming Serpent, which is a volcano. Yeah. Um, and the Skaven, I will give them credit, surprisingly efficiently and fast, build a very ramshackle fleet out of, you know, a bunch of uh, Lustrian trees. And mm-hmm. as many of them as possible set sail and are like, we are fucking out of here. And they start heading off for the old world because they are truly and utterly defeated. And it is said, according to myth, that at this moment, the myth. fuming serpent erupts and out of it comes a gigantic God-sized snake. As Sotek! As Sotek is born at long last. And the should be noted that the twin-tailed serpent, um, the, the comet, the twin-tailed comet, also, which the Lizardmen know as the forked tongue of Sotek, has gotten massive in the sky. It seemed like the more Skaven that were sacrificed, the bigger and the bigger and the bigger it gets. And this is when it reaches its zenith. Indeed, it's an interesting one because this is where um, the comet uh, myth, so to speak, lies slightly separate to the comet myths that you get in other parts of the known world because the battle um, comes hand in hand with this comet appearing relatively swiftly. I saw one rewrite of it attempt to say that it came back 100 years later and then doesn't come back again. But uh, even that's a bit weak. But we, um, at this point, get the birth of an actual god. It wakes up and... uh, and and does a whole bunch of nomming. Now, again, to uplift ourselves and try to look at this from the outside, there's multiple ways that this can be interpreted. We could interpret that the extraordinary amount of Skaven souls being fed to the Aether. Oh, thank you so much. Hugely appreciated. Being fed to the Aether has allowed the birthing of a god and allowed it to manifest through into the material realm. That's one way of interpreting it. The more classic winds of magic uh, theory of the Aether way of interpreting it is that it was the Skaven's belief 
themselves, um, not the scheme, pardon me, the lizardmen's belief themselves <laughs> that caused the god to birth from their particular need, their desire. And all of the murder, all of the sacrifice had nothing to do with the birthing of the god. It was how the Skaven felt about it. It was their anger. It was their passion that caused the birth of the god. So on one side, you could say it's the souls. and another side, you could say it was the lizardmen. On a third pillar that's connected, it's a bit of both. Um, regardless of what actually is believed, that we have our first real, actual god popping up that has come from the lizardmen. Now, they've got a host of other gods and a host of old ones that could perhaps be gods and a host of other legends but yeah, this so is yeah but, yeah, but this, this is, like is tangible <laughs> but this is tangible real and undeniable it is it is a real event now we can say in time it becomes myth we can say a variety of things that's bullshit we all know it actually happened because it's awesome and Warhammer, we all know, dwells <laughs> yeah. in the fucking awesome. And we all know that um, our, our god is a real entity of some sort or another. And it has come to pass. And to just lay it down in its simplest of terms, a single, single lizardman has arguably not just changed a species, but has birthed a god. Not just a species, several species. And has dragged yeah. what was a cold, unfeeling creation of the old ones and turned it into the Warhammer Lizardmen. Without, without Tehenuin, the Lizardmen as we understand them today don't exist. The Slan mm. do. The Slan haven't changed. They're pretty much exactly what they were before. They still are and will continue right into, presuming that you want to move into the Age of Sigmar, the Age of Sigmar yeah. still unchanged. There, there are some interesting things we'll get into in the Slan in a moment because their moment is about to arrive. Oh, exactly. But, yeah. And Slan, well, yeah, let's pass yeah. over onto that so, one. So, yeah, so Sotek supposedly uh, emerges from the volcano, which is an epic, awesome thing, which is for anyone that wonders why I do Lava Lizardmen with my paint jobs, that's why. Because I always have it that uh, my headcanon is there's a secret temple city that the Lizardmen built afterwards in the Fuming Serpent. So I think love the Lizardmen because they're Mark of Sotek and they're born from the same volcano as Sotek is because I fucking love that. Uh, but in any event, um, Sotek goes into the ocean and pursues the fleeing Skaven and the Lizardmen believe, or at least it's said by Tehenuin, he announces on the, his, his victory speech that he will pursue the Skaven uh, to the other side of the world and then follow them into the depths of their terrible under empire and will find their God and engage him in the battle of all battles and will do so for the rest of time. And it is their I job. The <laughs> yeah. It is their job to ensure that Sotek continues to receive sacrifice so that he may continue to grow in strength so that he may overwhelm and slay not. And this is where Tanwin makes an interesting pivot where he states that not only will the Skaven be defeated, chaos will be defeated it's a big claim yeah so to win at this point uh the lizardmen they've won the war is over they return they start returning to their cities and stuff to anyone starts going into the jungle and the slon hear about what happened they mm -hmm. hear about supposedly a god has been quite literally born i would argue they probably felt some pretty crazy shit in the winds oh, yeah. of magic uh and they summon him and they do something they have not done since before the cataclysm, which and is that they again as well as I recall. Yes, this, yeah, this never is the again. Last time it ever happens, they call a conclave of the Slon. Yeah, um, Lord Mazdamundi wakes up and says, mm -hmm. "Everybody, come to Hexwaddle." Whoa. Like, no, you may not attend telepathy. Like through telepathy, you must 
physically come. So every single slon that is still alive in Lustria is picked up by their attendants or floats or whatever, and they all arrive together in Hexawaddle, and they all gather in the central pyramid, the greatest, mightiest pyramid, with Lord Mazdamundi himself presiding, and they summon Tehinuin. And Tehinuin walks into the chamber with the plaque of Sotek, and the slon uh big sacrificial dagger yeah and his big his big old dagger uh (laughs) and the what's very interesting and it makes a lot of sense is that the slon turn to their attendants and say record nothing Mm -hmm. do not write down what is about to be said in this room and they seal the chamber so that it's only uh, the slon, their most immediate attendants who are not allowed to repeat what is said and to Hinnuin himself. And all we know is they asked to Hinnuin to explain himself um, and to tell them of this Sotek. And to Hinnuin talks for a very long time. And when it's over, the slon open the doors and Lord Mazdamundi floats out with the rest of the slon and they go, it is right that Sotek should be honored as equal to the old ones. And he must be um, uh, he must be venerated, and you we will build temples in all of our cities. It's um, such an enormous change. Yeah, it's just huge. I would give anything to see a very gifted author take a stab at what that meeting was like. But like, God actually, damn. actually huge because this is where the slan take on board a change that was not a part of the plan as they understood it. They've obviously now got the plaque, this particular plaque, which directly correlates to everything that has just come to pass. So they realize it's part of the great plan and the slan go from saying the great plan is one thing to the great plan is a different thing. And it's obviously still the great plan. It's no different because the great plan is whatever actually happens because actually the great plan is everything that happens. Um, So, it's huge because the Slan are now accepting that there is a god of the Lizardmen who will be venerated in every single Lizardmen community across the world. This is not a small thing. Sacrifices apparently will become a thing. Veneration will become a thing. Lizardmen who are passionate about stuff will become a thing. The Lizardmen, themse- the Slan, pardon me, themselves will still stand separate to all this because they're nothing more than the ants that are running around them. So it, They're <laughs> still ants, but they're now ants that are walking in a different plan to what any of the Slan that had w- arrived there had considered was going to be the case. And as they come out the other side, the Slan are probably just as bewildered as everybody else because they've made a change. Yeah. And what's interesting is uh, the Slon, we don't get a ton of further developments from them in this immediate vicinity, because this happens in about the year 100-ish of the Imperial calendar. Um, But this leads to a series of events that results in Lord Mazdamundi. Um, This renewed vigor, this renewed anger, actually gets to Mazdamundi. And um, it is with the city of El Cadavo where Mazda Mundi discovers that the Slon can get pissed off. And when he gets pissed off, he snaps out of that malaise that has infected the Slon for thousands of years. And there's a note that Mazda Mundi genuinely wakes up and he yeah. looks around and goes, he becomes active, which is very unusual. He stops going to sleep. 
like Mazda Mundi becomes genuinely active. And we even have these very cool lore blurbs about the other Slon having dreams or doing whatever it is they do when they're sleeping and Mazda Mundi appearing in their dreams and saying, it's time to wake up. Yep, like get moving dudes. Like he's using the winds of magic to infuse the other Slon to help them break free. And the Slon wake up and they get angry. Like Quite. it's very specifically that they're angry. And it, this is what, uh, for me, is the, the best bit about it all. Um, the Slan are quite unlike any of the other Lizardman species because they're not respawning and respawning and respawning and changing and changing and changing. They are inviolate in many respects. They are what they were. They are what they are. They are what they will be. Um, and they had considered that they were nothing more than the entities that had been created by the old ones. That's all they were, and they were to see the old ones plan into place. And uh, Tehenuin taught them that they were living, breathing, existing creatures like everything else in the world, and that they had the ability to tap into the mm, mm. world in a way that they had previously thought was unwise and they chose not to do and in doing so they do that great thing that we discussed multiple times in other parts of our various chats in our previous streams where the world of the warhammer world waxes and wanes with magic and that magic when it's at its peak wakes up all the old creatures that rely and use magic and the slan are one of those species much like the dragons are one of those species and previously the slan had relied upon the geomantic web for access to all of their wakiness for want of a better word um but they got woke in a completely different way <laughs> <laughs> they the got, woke. got woke the slan got woke there's chemicals the burning the slan woke um, <laughs> and, Ma and lord mazda Mundi learned from tehenuin and he yeah. learned that he could get woke, so to speak, through the winds. And that wakes him up and makes him a unique individual. He doesn't change. He doesn't become something new. He's still incorruptible. What he does is he takes on more, which gives him a completely different perspective to what he had before and perhaps allows him to understand the greater plan in a way that he never could before because he just wasn't that. <laughs> That's such a stupid joke. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i mean it, it's true though listen yeah, let's go woke. so um yeah and what's interesting there is a direct correlation between tehenuin's speech in hexwaddle and mazda what mazda mundi ends up becoming where yeah. mazda mundi mazda mundi likes sotek a lot um, he venerates Chotek the most because he acknowledges that he is in the city of Chotek, but Mazda Mundi also takes very much the idea that Chotek, the sun, the fieriness of the sun, the energy that it gives the Lizardmen is paramount to the Slon being active and waking up again. But there are Slon that are so moved by Tehenuin that they become full-on converts, where there are, I know of at least three Slon that are full-on worshippers of Sotek. Um, there's actually a hilarious character. He's a joke character, technically. But there's Ulo Up, the Voyager of the Rain, I believe. Uh, he is really goofy. So he is he is a slon that was so impressed yeah, that man. he decides that he is going to proselytize in Sotek's name. So he gets all of his palanquins together, all of his floating thrones, loads them up with cargo, gets an army, and he tells all the other slon, 
I'm going to go into the old world and I'm going to spread the word of Sotek. I'll see you guys later. And he marches off to the jungle and is never heard from again. And the Slon go, we're just not going to worry about that. <laughs> like, good luck, dude. But all right. <laughs> Presumably he died somewhere, but it's a really funny story. Um, but uh, but there are Slon who are less jokey, who are very deep converts of Sotek. Indeed, and I think it's worth noting again here um, what gods represent in the Warhammer world because we still, we it, our natural inclination is to think, well, that means that they are great worshippers and that means that they are worshipping their god because they think the god... Uh, it's not quite that, particularly with the Slan who have got a far deeper understanding of the cosmology. Sotek represents lizard men. Yes. It's not so much that they become great worshippers, it's that they become aligned with. They become literal priests, representations of the god, or the god is a representation of them. They're just aligning with it. The realization that this god that has been spawned from the lizardmen is something that was always going to come to pass. Um, because the nature of the lizardmen was changing over time, and they as the slan is this immutable thing that sits above them. They don't change with it, they just become too they just come more aligned with what the lizardmen have become. Um, so again, worship is not necessarily the best way of looking at it from the slam perspective. If we're trying to lift ourselves out and look objectively from above, but from within world, they will very much look like enormous mage priests that um, venerate Sotek in all ways, rather than necessarily being um, a creature that represents lizardmen as a whole. Yep. And this is, and so Sotek becomes the preeminent god of the lizardmen. Now it's noted the Slon and the lizardmen do not consider him to be an old one. He is a separate yep. entity, but he is equal to them in reverence and importance. Um, and what's interesting about, uh, and then from here, uh, I think it's worth talking, uh, talking a little bit about the history of Tehinuin as far as uh, his design and how it's changed over the years. Um, taking a little Teeny bit weenie. of a moment there. Yeah, so he originally, if you go back far enough, was Teeny Weenie, Teeny uh, Weenie. <laughs> back in good old 5th edition. Uh, and um, the the Sotek system did exist, but was significantly less of a focus. I mean, it was it was still sort of all there. I mean, all the bloodiness that was to come wasn't yeah. anywhere near as stressed. But the concept of Sotek and the awakening of Sotek was most certainly there. Yeah, sixth edition. Uh, his name got changed to Tehinuin. Washing. Yeah, and yeah, I know. Oh, geez. Uh, uh, if only Tic Tac Toe had been so fortunate. But, uh, um, but he, he he gets he gets a couple of interesting mentions in the book, but is kind of a side character, sideline. And then something big happened, which is the Lustria expansion. Yeah. Uh, Games Workshop released a full-on summer campaign with a full-on army book-sized. A book full of lore and details mm -hmm. and new minis that explore that war. So this is where the Tanuwin mini comes from. This yep. is where we get the full red crested skinks and all of the the engine of the gods for the first time. Um, all these things that are kind of formed a lot of the basis of modern lizardmen that a lot of us know and love. And the clan pestilence also got significantly expanded massively. Um, and there are some things that I really hope we get in Total War eventually, like the Cauldron of a Thousand Poxes. Yeah. I love that thing. Sorry, it makes me uh, laugh because it's horrible. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, like it's it, essentially it's the precursor to the the plague furnace, but I still want it as a separate mm -hmm. entity. But uh, that is where we get to Hinduin that we all know and love now. But yeah, there is one key difference: is that he was mortal. 
um Tehenowin does die uh, we don't know how, presumably of old age, like, cause he was a hundred years old when the war ended. Or, yep. Actually, it was probably over a hundred, but he was, he was old. about 110 or 115 or something by the end of the war. Yeah. And he vanishes into myth. And basically what they say is that when the time is needed, a new prophet of Sotek emerges. Yep. So like a skink that is similar to Tehenuan will pop out and take over. Four. And this is how we got the Thankful. Uh, when the Thankful trilogy was written, that was what the lore said. So yeah. that's why in the second book of the Thankful trilogy, you get a guy who's like Tehenuin, but he is not Tehenuin. Um, he he's Tehenuin light, <laughs> and uh, he ends up dying in that story. Um, yeah. But uh, though he's killed, funny enough, he's technically killed by a slon, um, which is very interesting. Um, but if you go and read the story, it explains a lot of the context um it's very very the thinkable trilogy is so fun it is so fun but in any event um what happened then was seventh edition seventh edition expanded a ton of lore um it was the most heavy edition of the like the so like sixth seventh and eighth edition kind of felt like they were very similar whereas fifth edition to sixth edition was a huge jump a lot of things changed yeah um Seventh edition was heavy in lore. They were the biggest books for all of the armies that would ever be released, with the exception of the armies that did not get a book, like Bretonia, Wood Elves, and Skaven. Poor Bretonia! Wood Elves uh, got one. No, they did not. They got an eighth edition book. They did not oh, get eighth, a Sorry, edition. I thought you were talking about the eights as well. Sorry. Yeah. Point yeah, yeah. taken. Yeah. No. Uh, seventh edition is where we get Tehenuin the Immortal. Um, so he is a. Uh, he is a being that does not die and the way the lore explains it is that just like the serpent that sheds its skin Tehenuin constantly renews himself um, although again that's placed as a myth rather than necessarily yeah. a fact um there's um i remember having a discussion about this i won't say whom with um as for how Tehenuin would potentially re- be effectively just reborn from the spawning pools um in that uh, the genetic knowledge of what they are combined with the etheric reflections and the souls and the way that they had changed as a species meant that Tehenuin could effectively just be reborn in one of the spawning pools whenever required. So it wasn't so much he was reskinning, it was that he was respawning and coming back again. And I really like that as a Which idea. is distinctly possible. Like and it feels really lizard man. Yeah, um and it gives you a really cool way that you can get a character that dies and dies in a super heroic awesome way and then possibly four generations later a young um skaven red crested is born um and comes to the Young power. skaven andy the skaven, sorry kink <laughs> i can't believe i said skaven oh my oh, god how embarrassing um, like, <clears throat> I've got, we got secret agents now <laughs> i am still getting killed by sotek um and i deserve to get killed ah, by sotek for that one that's just embarrassing but yeah a, a young God, now now um, I want to see a Skaven with like a big uh, red mohawk. He's exactly. trying to like blend in with the, the skinks. <laughs> comes out in the spawning pools, or alternatively, one comes out fully grown and it's literally Tehenuin. Yeah. Just comes out of the spawning pools in, in all of Tehenuin's majesty. And I think that that equally is kind of awesome. I may also speak to potentially some of the re- legends that came from the Hundred Years' War. Perhaps he did die several times and perhaps he was just reborn in the city where he was needed and mm. to come back out again that would make i think a really fun retelling of the existing stories as we understand them 
and would also, I think, speak to the nature of how the species itself was changing. So it could stand as a metaphor for everything that was happening with the uh, lizardmen. So in terms of the overall narrative, you could tell a really good story with that. Yeah, and honestly, it would make a lot of sense in that we have characters that are very distinctly, not immortal, but well, they're, they're, they're not going to die of old age, and they're very yeah. old, with like Nakai and Krokar, who are first, well, Nakai is a first generation spawning, Krokar is not a first generation, but he's very, very old. Yeah, quite. Um, And their age is visible, because they've grown bigger and spikier and more heavily armored and stuff. Tehenuin does not exhibit any of those properties. Yeah, uh, he I mean, looks like a good a way of explaining it. Yeah, he looks like a skink in his prime. Um, and, uh, he does show up from time to time. Um, the most, the last time we see him in the setting before the end times is he actually destroys the Skaven city of Fester Spike, um, where the Slon apparently which still amuses me. Yeah. Which, which is like for, Spike, for the record, for the, for the record, that city is like in the middle of like the black mountains or the middle yeah, mountains. The border princes. What the fuck's he doing over there? Yeah. So uh there's there's this note that the Slon foresee the Skaven are up to something in that city that needs to be stopped. So they uh they summon an army and Tehenwin shows up out of nowhere to lead it. And the Slon go, All right, and they open up a portal, he walks through it, and this from the Skaven perspective, the Lizman just appear uh in the city and it's a massacre. Apparently, it takes them an entire year, but Tehenwin decimates the city. And then I guess he teleports home since nobody else saw him. Uh, and that's the last time we see him before the end times where he plays Down in the vaults actually just to yeah it's technically the vaults yeah it's technically the vaults um, just to confirm that one yeah right and to be vaults. noted uh total war does not put settlements in their correct places they put them in approximate places so yeah. you will often see cities not show up where they would exactly be on the map it's also deeply um uh, annoying for people who are attempting to map those areas Lynn, you joke into account the, the changes that have been made by total war yeah the um the cult of Sotek is in the Southlands. It is very, very powerful in the Southlands. It is very distinctly possible that Tehenuin does appear in the Southlands. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it's also quite likely, regardless of what the lore may have hinted or not hinted at, that all of the Slan across the known world came to that meeting because it quite clearly states that it's the last time it occurs um that they all turn up and that really does suggest all of our southlander lot as well um so i wouldn't like to differentiate them too much i would i would prefer particularly if i was writing any of those sections to try and wrap them all together to also reinforce just how important that individual event was because it's the first time the slan make a decision based upon really something that they weren't contemplating beforehand to the same yeah. degree it's a big thing yeah so uh that is pretty much the story of tahinuin but now i want to delve into a couple of questions for andy that i would like his oh, interpretation question on. yeah sure, you're okay. on the spot now oh uh, i do like being put on the spot Shit. there are a lot of questions that i have made my own theories on but um oftentimes i would really like a different perspective on them so one of the things that is not subtle and a lot of people wonder about is that the same celestial event heralds Sigmar and Sotek. It yes. is this it is this herald of a moment where someone is going or something is going to be born that is going to knock chaos flat on its ass. And what I would like to hear your thoughts on what is if there is what is the relationship between Sotek and Sigmar. Right. So personally none interesting um yeah personally 
CB, thank you. And um, I will oh, we, we will touch on that in just a second. We'll definitely get on that one because that, that's an interesting one. Yeah. So yeah, um uh I've had a discussion about this one. Um with uh again, it's exactly the same time when I was um kicking down south, although it was with different people when I was down down by Bugman's. Um and uh the discussion was centered around a different issue but it was a very closely related one and that was just how long was that comet in the sky was it something that burned through the sky for the entirety of the 100 year war or did it burn at the beginning and then burn again at the birth of sotek and if that was the case then why wasn't there legends in the empire of the comet appearing approximately 100 ic um 50 years after the death of Sigmar, and mm. should that be incorporated into the timeline with a rewrite um, of the timeline of the Empire? Or do we instead say it occurred, but it's been forgotten by the Empire, which is largely where we landed. Mm. Where we landed was that it was an incredible event that happened at approximately 100 IC um, that burned through the sky and had deep significance to the uh, burgeoning, newly formed empire, which was only at that point around about 100 years. No, it's not even that. It's only about 70 years old by this point, because it's from the point when the comet first went at the birth of Sigmar to 100 years later. Um, so that's yeah, 30 well, years after um, yeah, Sigmar. And this is, this. I, I always Edward. wonder if it's a... Um, mistake with the the way they made the timeline but if if it's to if we assume there were no mistakes what's interesting mm. is the comet says that it appears at sigmar's birth yes then it appears at uh tehenuin's great exodus which is on the year the empire is founded not yes. the year sigmar's born oh, but year one of the imperial calendar huh um interesting the conversation we had we placed that at the birth of sigmar yeah, Not which I, I think could be like, because huh. I think, uh, I don't know if all the books agree on it, but um, here, well, that makes me want to go check up the actual sources. Because people forget shit and they don't check things up and they're writing things. Yeah, let me check. Let me check. Um, so while this you this check that, I'll go on to the other bit. So the next question um, that came out of that when we were discussing this, we eventually went, there's probably two oh, major companies yeah they all yep all of the additions agree it's in either year zero or year one that the lizard yeah, the comet the first that's time an interesting piece of bullshit um <laughs> well maybe yeah. maybe it took a little while to get uh, to the southern hemisphere yeah, yeah it just it, yeah it took <laughs> like, like 30 years my way around there. it'll be fine um or yeah or you know sigmar just did a lot in his first year of life okay hold um, on we, let's, yeah, let's tackle the super chat real quick and then we'll come back to that yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you do you want to do that yeah um, sure so i will say that to him Tehenuin is very different from a lot of the Lizardmen in that I do not think he bothers himself nearly as much with we must be exacting to um, all of these sacred plaques and following. I a don't know. I, 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 to have, I mean, everything that he did was following the sacred plaque that he bloody carries everywhere. Yeah, but I think for him, it's almost more of an innate feeling like a sense yeah, I, of that. I agree. And there I seems to be a different thread that guides him rather than interpretation, more of like kind of how like Nakai just knows where to show up. Agreed completely. Um, yeah. And I think 100%. in that case, it, it granted, it would be impossible per, to predict, but I think Tehenuin would almost see the Dragon Emperor as more of a weapon against a mutual foe, as opposed to a threat to the Great Plan, which is probably what the Slon might see him as. Yeah, agreed. Um, uh, I think one of the main differences between him, say, and the Slan is that the Slan are working towards the big picture. Tehenuin is working towards uh, the far 
closer, smaller strategic picture sitting directly in front of him, um, which is to deal with what he is supposed to do as the prophet of uh, Sotek. And if that happened to be, we need to take down the Dragon Emperor, then that yeah. would be what he'd do. If that happened to be, we need to ally with them to take out bad guys. That's exactly what he'd do. I, I think he's I think he doesn't think of the Dragon Emperor. Yeah, not at all. Uh, yeah. The best way I can express it is the difference between Mazda Mundi and Tehinuin's focuses, where Tehinuin is wipe out the Skaven, kill chaos, eradicate the enemies of the Sotek. Mazda Mundi has set out an edict very, very recently in the timeline where Mazda Mundi has two things on his plan, which is we must restore the world to the way, well, one core idea, which Mazda Mundi completely... This actually is kind of an upset, but he orders all of the other Slon, being the eldest living one, and says, I have looked at all these plaques and I have come to the central truth, which is that we must restore the world to as it was before chaos came, which is insane. But when he says Proper that, insane. he even goes on to uh, further explain the elves must be returned to Ulthuan. The dwarves must be in the world's edge mountains and the humans must go back to the old world. Um, all of the races that the old ones created must be returned to their original locations and any that will not go willingly will be destroyed because they are aberrations. Whoever wrote that the humans started in the old world deserves a slap. They did not start in the old world. <laughs> to be fair, uh, he might mean they something very, very they broad. There. <laughs> something very broad by old yeah. world. I mean, but, uh, a definite starting point, it would probably be closer to where the Chaos Dwarves are these days, maybe on the step up there, because almost all of them migrate. Or maybe, maybe, if you want to be more traditional, the Southlands, and they migrate yeah. upwards. Yeah, but uh, uh, but in any event, he, he wants everyone back to where he thinks they're supposed to be, and then all of the races that bear any taint of chaos have to be completely and utterly obliterated. So, like, to anyone in... Um, uh, Lord Mazdamani see eye to eye on that, but I don't think to anyone would care about the non-chaos races. Um, bar like a particular prophecy coming up or Sotek telling him otherwise, he would not be bothered. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't really think he would give a shit about the Celestial Dragon Emperor unless it turns out that the Dragon Emperor's plan that he's working on would somehow mess with Sotek's aims. Yeah, quite exactly. Um, let's also bring up the little. Uh, and yes, Hammond, thank you for the Sigmar is the missing dragon child. We all know that's not true. Sigmar is supposed, of course, Sigmar is simply one of the missing primarchs. Um, yeah, of course, that's, that's exactly what he is. Um, that makes sense. Um, and loosely, uh, you can take several views. One, you can say that they came from the Southlands and they spread up into the lands of the dead as they are today. Um, so Nehekara. Um, and then from there spread up. Um, into the old world and spread through the wolflands and then up towards the chaos waste as it would become. That would be one view. Alternatively, you could also say there's potentially multiple sources, which is probably more likely, given that they were a species that were held by the old ones, they could have seeded them anywhere. Yeah, and it, there is a substantial amount of evidence that the different humans were probably not from one central location there were probably different old ones working on because the humans were very very late and they weren't as late supposedly as the ogres and halflings but were maybe just before them they were still being worked on um, every time they're referenced they're said is not being completed yeah and it's very likely multiple old ones were working on them simultaneously in different places yeah um when the old that ones seems, that seems very likely to me yeah but almost always from the south and the east um mm -hmm. not the old world 
we don't yeah. i don't know of any humans that are truly native to the old world yeah. itself the the oldest um tribe in the uh, uh belthani probably the belthani and the belthani's age i mean they were seen as nomadic and strange around about a thousand ic which is still thousands of years later um, than when humanity was uplifted and turned into what it currently is. So the chances of the Belfani being in that area for thousands of years without much in the way of chat is relatively low. I wrote a piece in the uh, Tome of Salvation which spoke about the Belfani people being relatively new arrivals um, into the area, and that was around about 1,000, 1,500 IC, ne negative 1,000, 1,500 IC, pardon me. And it wasn't until around about of 800 IC that all the tribes of Sigmar started arriving. But they could have been there for a good 2,000 years easily. Oh. Okay, it's yeah. Still so, not as old as Nehekara. Yeah, to get back to where we were a little bit ago, so you don't think there's any connection at all between so, Sigmar and Sotek? So, I think the easy, and um, in terms of Games Workshop answer, is not to connect them to ensure that each of the armies and each of the individual spiritual entities have got their own discrete uh individuality in the same way that the connections between warhammer and warhammer 40k were massively eroded across the various editions mm -hmm. to ensure that warhammer had its own discrete and unique identity from 40k largely because they were scared that if everyone thought that warhammer was just part of the 40k world they'd never buy warhammer again because <laughs> what's the point i'll just go buy freaking 40k and to a degree that sort of happened anyway um so I think that from the Games Workshop perspective and from the general writing perspective, almost everyone will just separate them and say, I don't want to think about it too much. But, and I think it's always worth saying but, um, could they be um, as synthesized in that we have ourselves um, the dawning realization of a growing set of new gods and the arrival of this comet brought about not just Sotek, but also Sigmar, not just as a man, but by the time of the second arrival of the comet, as a god, I think there's definitely something in that. It's very close to the time that Johann Hellstrom, Johann Hellstrom, the very first grand mm. theorist of Sigmar, lit his beard on fire. Yep, He <laughs> arrived approximately 30 years after Sigmar abdicates and says that Sigmar has been crowned as a god. Now let's put our timeline together on that. So the first comet arrives when Sigmar is born. That's when it happens. The second comet definitely arrives, regardless of when the first one goes and it's the birth of the empire or whatever. But there's definitely another one 100 years after that. So that's 50 years for Sigmar's reign. 30 years approximately for how long he how old he was when he became emperor so 30 years after that it completely marries which means that the second comet comes when sigmar becomes a god yeah. so the two of them are directly related sotek is born and sigmar is born on pretty much the same date and there is no way you can't say that that is not linked or connected and the more you think about it the more you can start going wait a minute i could do and then maybe you could and then huh yeah, and that's I, when personal theories start overriding everything yeah i i will say i have a very fervent personal belief that i genuinely believe the comet was a hail mary 
pass by the old ones in like their last moment. Like they set into events something that they said, okay, we need an avenging force. There needs to be something that will help this world fight back against chaos. And I don't know why it took so long to get there, but they set they from maybe another planet. They went what <laughs> through this meteor across the cosmos. So that, that would um, to a degree make sense, particularly if you consider um, what the old ones represent. The old ones are a mixture of the material and the immaterial, the aether and the mortal realms, the realms of chaos, if you must, um, and the realms of mortals. Um, and this is a material object that can be seen, but it also does some significant changes to the actual material world. We have the birth of two gods. And possibly, as the world expands, more gods. Now, who knows what's going to happen down in Ind, in Kuresh, in other quiet yeah. corners of the Warhammer world that have not really been explored. Who knows what happens in uh, what is modern-day Nagaroth? There's a huge chunk of land there that is actually massive that we don't really know anything about. And mm -hmm. eventually, they're going to add some shit in there. And who knows if a great twin-tailed comet isn't directly related to their own individual births of gods and something similar. Because Games Workshop loves repeating those motifs again and again. And I know as a writer, I've repeated those motifs in various places. So is that something that could occur? Sure. Would I support it? Yes. And does that make sense? For example, your theory there, does that make sense of it? Yeah. But I think I could come up with other things, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, Stick if y'all are, are bored out there, uh, feel free to ever like pop into like the Discord and the ideas for Sotek or whatever and uh, drop down your fan theories. I'd love to look at those. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, Hammond, yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I think the elves do have a very weird feeling about Sigmar God as a concept. Like the idea to them that a man could become a god is probably very odd. Yeah. Um, uh, th this again is also gently touched upon in the uh, the Tome of Salvation. That's Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Second Edition, um, and not only is that touched upon, but the opposite of it is touched on it as well, where the Empire actually believes that Sigmar should not just be the god of the Empire, but should be the god of all humanity, because he's the only god that came from humanity. All the other gods have got more ancient or alternative sources. This is a god that represents all humanity. And there's a nice little, I think, a, a little epistle where um, a Sigmarite is speaking to a Bretonian, explaining exactly why their versions of their gods are obviously nonsense. All Bretonians should worship Sigmar because that's just what's right. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and gods like Renald, for example, the trickster god, um, that many believe was immortal. The Sigmarite perspective is was never immortal. It's just a giant trick. Yeah, it was yeah, always a god. They get, they get very upsetty spaghetti with that suggestion. Yeah, totally. They're like, so, no, that's our original idea. <laughs> quite <laughs> so, you. good times. So yeah, um, those sort of ideas are prevalent across the uh, Warhammer world in general. So it's always fun to investigate them, but generally from an in-character perspective, what someone in the world believes because when you actually consider what the place would be like if it were real which you know we all kind of do because we can't help ourselves mm. and when you sync yourself in that you suddenly realize that all the thoughts that people may have written about because they weren't really thinking of it as real they're just going how big can i make that tentacle how how big can i make that fan <laughs> yeah. how cool can i make this fight oh yeah this is awesome and then you think of someone who actually lives there you go wait a minute but they if they believe this that means they're going to think this and this and this and it's those knock-on <laughs> effects that make conversations like this one all the more fun yep um 
And the other thing I wanted to ask you to expand more, we, we've touched on it very briefly during the Winds of Magic uh, Lorebeard's episode, mm -hmm. but I'd like to hear the expansion now. What is the relationship between Sotek <laughs> and the Serpent of Hish? Hish. Serpent of Hish. No, no, in my um, version, <laughs> directly correlated. Um, and the direct correlation also directly correlates through to Sotek potentially being... Right, so... Hmm. Right, let, let's lay down a couple of key things to explain why I say they're directly correlated. Right. Number one, time in the Aether doesn't exist. We know this for a variety of reasons. For example, a demon gets banished for 999 years and is seen four years later. Why? Because time doesn't exist in the realm of chaos and uh, the Aether in the same way that it exists in the real world. It's a, a realm of emotion and magic and strangeness and weirdness. So mm. we know that something that may not yet exist can exist because there's no real time. And by that, I mean, if a god is born at, say, let's say, zero IC, there is no reason that it could not have been worshipped 2,000 years earlier and perhaps even manifested in a weaker or a stronger well, way. And I was going to say, that ties into uh, your writing? From the Belfani, where they mention Sotek like fighting exactly. <laughs> in the Cataclysm. And um, that was a hint towards that. Um, that was laid into that was the Tome of Salvation again. Yes. It seems to be the Tome of Salvation week this week. Um, and again, th that was to speak to that there were certain forces um that may have been created within the Warhammer world that can be um seen respected and understood by other species in different ways just because the lizardmen birth sotek doesn't mean that sotek will not be perceived as a different god or perceived in a different way by other species which in some respects if you want to view it in the really old realms of chaos way so we're now talking first edition warhammer fantasy roleplay and third edition warhammer realms of chaos books where they talk about the great sea of souls and they talk about the mm. great fortresses that are the gods where all the similar emotions pull into one place it's not a lizard man god per se it's birthed out of lizardman sensibilities but all of the other various entities that are close to it are all part of that god now what is at the core of lizardman uh character coldness what is at the core of the skinks intellect cold separate and the same for the slan the very nature of heish is that it is intelligence the very nature of Heish is that it is intellect, philosophy, understanding of the world. Um, I, I just, I, it's the most religious of all the winds. The more you look into Heish, the more you realize that it is, in many respects, a reflection of much of what the Lizardmen are. Now, that doesn't mean that Lizardmen birth Heish or that Heish, it's, it's all related in a crisscrossy type way. But loosely speaking, Sotek, for me, is directly related to Heish as not just a god, but as a a great swirl in the beyond. Um, and for me, it's also related to a host of other snake-like deities and indeed much of what becomes Nehekaran society and also societal gods elsewhere in the old world in that everything is connected in one great geomantic web. Uh, just because Elizabeth birthed the thing doesn't mean that they're the only ones tied to that thing. Mm. <laughs> that was a bit no, of a hey. wending um, thing. Yeah, I hope that made sense because I... I, did, I hadn't prepared this answer. If I thought about it first, I would have probably given a more cogent answer there. I, I think it was a great answer. Excellent. Um, 
No, I, I love it. that. I love that so much. Well, and it it would make sense that what the birth of a god and a god's manifestation would probably be an explosion of hish. <laughs> let me just let me just explode that because yeah, you're right, one hundred percent. But that doesn't mean that they don't represent something else in the same way that uh, Tehenuin, um was at his very core, at their very core, if you prefer, um, uh, very much uh, actually to its core um but that doesn't mean that it wasn't building towards the birth of something quite different um and it also doesn't mean that in any way understands how to represent that other thing too also yeah remember that the rules of the battle game should yeah, never be bad. used to purely explore the lore because the battle game has a lot of limitations and they have to try and set things in stone that don't always make sense and if you're not sure about that and whether that should be taken as an argument i i always say look at high magic because almost every high magic caster in the warhammer game can't also cast all eight winds of magic but by the nature of high magic you must master all eight winds of magic first before you can cast high but that would make that character too fucking powerful in the game yeah so they don't give them access to them all yeah outside of humans it would actually probably be relatively rare that you would encounter a wizard that wields a single lore of magic but for the yeah. game to be simpler and not be fucking bonkers they restrict you because mm -hmm. rules um so yeah and, and game balance to keep yeah. the game fun so uh, it's about that time. We're going to start going through Discord questions and then questions in chat. If you oh, see any, uh, I will look at Discord. You look at chat. And if you see any interesting, feel free to bring them up. But okay. uh, some of these questions are joke questions and I appreciate them and they make me laugh, <laughs> but I'm going to skip them. Um, I'm only looking at the questions that are uh, coming in now. I'm not going to scroll back past yeah, all fine. your previous ones um, because we generally only pick out the ones that super chat for the uh, uh, previous stuff. Can Tehenuin speak other language? Uh, Lizardman languages are weird. Uh, Saurian has a lot of complex dialects that are, might as well be different languages, like the version that the Croxwars speak versus the Saurus versus the Skinks versus the Slon. Like we talked about how the Slon are virtually incomprehensible uh, to the Skinks because their version of Saurian is so bizarre. Um, so I would say, yeah, Tehenuin could all, probably speak many languages, and Skinks are very good at that. Skinks are like whenever someone in the lore encounters Lizardmen, and they, it's like a human speaking Reichspiel or Bretonian, or uh, there's an elf speaking elf, um, Eltharian. It's a skink who's going to translate. Um, now, granted, their version of those languages is usually very outdated. Um, it's like speaking to someone that speaks your language from like 500 years ago, but they'll, they'll get the gist of what you're trying to say. Quite. And uh, I agree. Uh, what reaction? Oh, dude, the Naga. Uh, that depends a lot on how to say it. That, that depends a lot on how the Naga are taken. My hope is that the Naga are going to be a pre-Old One race because that's not a very well-explored faction in Warhammer Fantasy Battles is a pre-Old One, like an entire playable pre-Old One race. And in the new Lustria book, there are notes that the Lizardmen evolved from something. The Old Ones do not know. They've never demonstrated the ability to create life from nothing. They take life and evolve it into something they want. Uh, and there are notes that there was a race, a civilization that had buildings and culture that was already in Lustria when the old ones arrived and the old ones co-opted them to turn them into the Lizardmen. And that might have been the Naga, in which case the Naga would be a very, very bitter, angry, um, ancient race that may be the precursors to the Lizardmen and could explain a lot of the similarities between them. They're reptilian species of so the Naga are far more serpentine. Um, but I think Tehenuin, there would definitely be some really interesting clashes between Tehenuin and them 
seeing as they both seem to have a reverence for serpents. I think, um, I, I, just to take a different angle, since we don't actually have any answer for this one, um, I would loosely land on uh, the Naga are almost certainly a separate species. And because they're a separate species with a completely different um, a completely different belief system, probably different gods, different ways of representing, um, Tehenuin will be as interested with them as Tehenuin is with any other species around the world. And that is, are they an enemy? Are they not? Yeah. Also, if the Naga lore isn't going to be changed, uh, they're a chaos worshipping race, so they would definitely probably not be friends. Um, that guy you know. Uh, oh, yeah. First of all, thank you for the super chat. Uh, that's thank actually you. that's Appreciate actually you. due to the way Reichspiel works uh, because gore actually means something. It's it's not... That's not what Lizardmen would really call themselves, and it's not what Beastmen would really call themselves. Um to my understanding, yeah. if that's correct. Yeah, uh, gore just comes from, uh, for the beastman, for the word for horn, and the same way that corn means horn, C-O-R-N, as in, yeah, you know, like a cornucopia. It's a, a horn of plenty. And the gores just are named literally after their horns. Um, is it a surprise that they both have the same similar sounds? Not really, because there's only so many sounds that can be made by human mouths. So I wouldn't be too concerned with that one. Um, and yeah, the gores are just yeah, called is it, the Isn't gore also beast in Kozalid? Um, yes, because they uh, just uplifted it and moved it over. And there's a, a, a an older reason for that in that all words in the Warhammer world spawn back to a single language. Ah, yeah. um, and True. that single language uh, gives you a, a host of core meanings for all worlds in all languages, pardon me, in the Warhammer world. And that's the language presumably of arguably the old ones or the languages they pass down to their various species. Uh, what's Tanwin's opinion on humans in general? Uh, we don't know a lot about his opinion on humans, but the only times he's encountered them, he sacrificed them to Sotek. So, <laughs> you, you know, a resource uh, probably more than anything. Uh, yes. I, he probably, yeah. Oh yeah. Gork and Morker. Yeah. They're old. Yeah, Gork they're and Morker. Way older than that. Way older. Um, yeah. I would say to anyone, if they are useful to him, then they are useful. If they are not useful, then they will be useful as sacrifices. Would yeah, probably exactly. be the, yeah. Um, has anyone ever fought other lizardmen slash Slon who didn't agree with the prophecy? That's a great question. That's a good one. Um, there are indications in the lore that the lizardmen do fight each other because Warhammer it's, it's a war game. So they always make sure to give you excuses on why you can have civil wars and the lizardmen yep. do have them. Um, have we ever re read something written about it? No, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. I would say it's very likely actually that early on there may have been clashes between traditional lizard men and Tehenuin's new cult. That is very possible. I, I don't think it's just possible. I think it's almost inevitable that there's going to have been some pushback against what Tehenuin brought to the table. And that means I imagine at least one uh, there's going to be several. Well, to begin with, we know there's a host of communities that don't have a slan above them. And some of those communities are very mm. primitive. And some of those communities are going to tell him to go fuck himself, which means that he, if he's in a position where he needs to be passing through that area or wishes to uh, somehow otherwise do something, will be fighting against them. So there will be some of that definitely the question is did it involve any slan and i think because he was working towards the greater plan the only way it would have involved slan is if that slan was working against the greater plan which should be pretty much impossible so i would probably say if the slan is involved no yeah and it's not the slan the slan almost never like use flat out violence like if slan if a slan is killed during a disagreement it's usually by accident because like when the slan argue magic literally builds up because they're that strong 
and when they get heated arguing with each other it can cause magical issues um and it, it's it's so rare for a salon to die because there's a limited number of them um mm-hmm. so that's a card that gains workshop tends to be very hesitant about pulling i'd rightly so because um it keeps them special when you do that yep uh, is there a way gods Thank can be wrong this uh yes thank you and yeah. uh i mean priest is generally so Sotek as a god shows up in total warhammer if you play a tahinian campaign and you pull off the big ultra sacrifice you can literally summon Sotek onto the battlefield and he will absolutely obliterate anything he Ek runs ass and chew gum yeah he will <laughs> like so there are gods there uh for the empire gods they don't really tend to do that but that's what your priests are for uh we would need more priests cut a long story short you tend to find that all warhammer games not just total war but all of them handle priests in the same way and that is alternative magic so it's another way that magic is represented on the battlefield so they'll have a priest of sigmar who can maybe bring down a comet or get a big holy hammer that you know boshes things and they just generally handle it that way and they uh, will have gods as a representation being nothing more than text examples so things that people call on by sigmar and similar or alternatively as the end of a plot line oh we've managed to get god x to arrive god x arrives god x does stuff we win woo yeah um and that tends to be it and it is generally speaking for warhammer where it best lies as well so i would yeah, say if a yes. god showed up on the battlefield th- that would open several cans of worms. Um, <laughs> um, although it is worth saying that um, some species do have literal walking gods kicking around, like, say, for example, Garkin the Wood Bar- Elves. Oh, okay, yeah. The, yeah. the Wood Elves are, are pretty much ruled um, by a, a pair of gods, yeah. and they are manifest avatars of gods. So they do represent and pop up on battlefields, but you tend to find that these are generally almost possessed versions of their own species. So hey, they don't get, have- tell you what world get, ending powers get carl franz to max level and equip him with all <laughs> morass and you're you're basically there yeah you uh, are uh has uh to ever bothered to try and send a fleet to skaven blight um so it doesn't seem that to knows where skaven blight is which is yeah. not unusual because the skaven go through a lot of hoops to hide skaven blight they even cast a big ritual every year to hide their presence from all the other races of the world um so there's and plus while Tenuin is powerful he's not suicidal um <laughs> he seems to be cautious with how he spends the lizardmen's lives um so i do not think he would attempt a direct attack on skaven blight unless he was sure he could win i think he'd give it a goddamn good go though oh yeah I'm absolutely i would have i would have very much in his character skaven blight i i do think that it was a big among many letdowns i think skaven blight should have been attacked by somebody in the end times yeah, it's um, mental that it wasn't like, um, it would have been great if while the skaven were invading lustria and thinking themselves safe to hanwin invaded skaven blight with a lizardman army that would have been fucking yeah, awesome. that'd be fun um i'll bring up liam are there any humans who believe or just know about Sotek, the answer to that is yes. Um, believe is different to know, though. Um, there are many who have been over to Lustria and around, so are aware of not just Sotek, but of the worship of Sotek. But as was mentioned earlier on the stream, the names Sotek and various other serpent gods have popped up in Warhammer Legends across the known world, and there are many scholars who have studied those and will be quite aware of it, even though they may not know of its provenance or where that god originated from. 
Yeah, and I would say uh, if you ever want to like have fun, uh, you could absolutely play a human character that for whatever reason worships Sotek because they had like a dream or something, or maybe they've been to Lustria. Uh, they actually give some ways to do it uh, with the new Oracle career in the Lustria book for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, uh, which can be a lot of fun. And I would suggest if you're doing that, you could easily tie it into something like a light wizard as well, because they mm -hmm. are absolutely redolent with both key points. Number one, snake iconography, and number two, pyramids. Let's also say a quick thanks to Inquisitor Steel. Uh, Inquisitor Steel, thank you so much. Man, a lot of super chats today, guys. Thank you all so much. You are right. Uh, Inquisitor Steel, thank you for the five. Uh, we know... Okay, so... Oh, God. Lord Croak is a very weird character. He cannot communicate directly with anybody. Um, and in Age of Sigmar, he can. I do want to make that very clear. Age of Sigmar, Lord Croak is very, very hilariously he's a lot more powerful and a lot more present than fantasy croak is mm -hmm. fantasy croak it's more like the slant hmm, how do i say this he can put his consciousness into other people's bodies to cast a spell but because he has crossed into the realm of the dead kind of um he's more like a soul that refuses to move on interacting with him is very hard for anybody like he has a whole special rule about if he possesses a skink you have to roll a leadership check because the skink can be stunned because the process is so like oh my god and other slon seem to be able to interact with him but they can't talk to him um it's like trying to see into somebody's mind who just sees the world it's likely that where croak is now he does not see time um, he does not see things like we, like the other Slon do. He probably is much closer to the old ones at this point than he is to his fellow Slon. So we have no idea what he would think about them. Now, I will say in Age of Sigmar, Croak is a very big Sotek fan. Um, and it's likely in fantasy he knew. Who knows? He might have known about Sotek before anybody else did. He talked to the old ones. He may have well, known before he died. So um, I'll pick up with Elf Knight. Thank you very much for the five. You rock. Oh God, another one. Jesus, um, if there is no time in the Aether, why can't the old ones still be around? Are they not connected to the Etheric Realm? Now, that is a great question. So there are multiple ways to answer this. First one is to say that possibly they are. That's a nice, easy way of putting it. So possibly the Comet of Sigmar, for example, was a reflection of something that they did. Possibly... The next possible, the next one, they became something new. For example, what if the old ones are the chaos gods? What if that is where they came from? And the great destruction of the portals was the morphing of them becoming a new point of evolution. And the previous versions of themselves did not want this to occur. And it did. So the gods are still quite literally there. The old ones are still literally there. Who's to say they didn't morph into the gods? That's the next obvious option. They moved into a different version of existence, which means that beforehand they definitely had some form of material component, as in they had a body, a corpus, as it's often called by, say, Manfred von Karstein. So we've got ourselves a body and an etheric component, the soul. They had one. The body's gone because of whatever cataclysm occurred. They've become soul stuff. What that became is really up there to be pinned down by someone, but never will be. So really, the best answer to this is, given the nature of the Aether, yes, they are still around somehow. Almost certainly. But what they are is definitely uncertain. They could be anything from a god to the Aether itself. They could be living in the corpse of the old ones, for all we know. Yeah, and there's also, the old ones are especially complicated because they, it's not, they are not natives to the Aether. They're from 
the Warhammer reality and they used the ether. They, they traveled through it. It had an effect on them, but they were not native to it. They didn't live in it as far as we know. So they could have just died, which I think is actually a little unlikely. And there are theories that they might be locked away. There's actually a very popular theory mm -hmm. that one of the old ones may be locked in the sun. He may be imprisoned within the sun itself. Um, and that's who Chotek is. It might be who Solcon is. There's a lot of really interesting theories there of about the sun god, that there's something in it. That's um, Sul, as I'm called in the Empire, S-O-L-L. An entire river is named after Sul down in Visenland. Yeah, but the real answer is we don't know, but we'd love to hear your theories. <laughs> There's all manner of cool answers that you can make up with. Um, uh, again, super thanks there. Any thoughts on Sotek and the Nehekar and Snake Gods? Um, oh, they are largely the ones, the largely the same thoughts as the ones that I had before. Um, yeah. in that, do I think that they are related? I think it would be a shame not to relate them somehow, particularly given that the iconography that both use are near uh, identical. So why wouldn't you build bridges between them and wouldn't make it, the Warhammer world make sense? Wouldn't it be wild if it turns out that because the Nehekarans have a concept of sex and gender, that it turns out that they know that Sotek is actually female, but the Lizardmen don't because they don't have a concept for that? Yeah, I, I think that would be marvelous. Yeah, yeah. That would be really cool. Definitely um, in that. Uh, what happens if the sacred plaque of Sotek ever got broken? Okay, I know this is kind of a goofy answer, but this happens and the Lizardmen literally just fix them. As long yeah. as they have all the parts, it's not a big deal for them to just put them back together. It happens sometimes. I, I know that might not sound like it's the most exciting answer, but um, they are in the end just repositories of information. And like all repositories of information, if you've got all the bits and all it needs is a reading, you're fine. Although I imagine many of the uh, more esoteric plaques are much more complicated than simple information written on the front of it. Some of them mm. will be devices. Some of them will be uh, esoteric magical artifacts, which are not going to be so easily fixed. But in the simplest terms, patch it up. Uh, what was Tehinoan's greatest feet uh leading uh, uh, his left foot his left foot was it his left foot oh my god okay you know what i don't want to work with andy anymore i'm done uh, <laughs> uh i would say um uh, either uh marshally uh the victory at walkable crater absolutely fucking insane probably the biggest defeat the skaven have ever suffered um until the end times like that was obscene um uh like for his overall storyline uh successfully helping birth a god um, that is an uh, unparalleled feat. There's literally no one else in the Warhammer world that we know of that pulled that off. Yep. 100% uh, uh, agreed. Uh, oh my um, god, Godzilla, Jesus. You kick ass. Oh, <laughs> how would you implement Godzilla? <laughs> Up from the depths, 30 stories high. Would you make him a part of the Lizardman or Nippon? Would you make him a protector, destroyer, or be... Ah, uh, ooh. Right, so um, I do this sort of shit all the time. Um, in that I take ideas that are part of existing culture and then weave them into Warhammer. You'll find that about three quarters of the writing that I've done has been strongly influenced by one pop thing or another. Um, so this is very much my wheelhouse. Um, what I tend to do is when I'm making references of this type, I tend to subvert expectations, twist them around, try to use things in new and entertaining ways, but still have those nods and references that everybody loves. So in terms of where Godzilla comes from, you, I personally would almost certainly tie it directly through to Nippon as a certainty, largely because mm -hmm. that's where it is tied through to as a pop reference. And that's where you'd really want to make it manifest um but i would clearly warhammerize that turn it into something quite different so it wouldn't be 
nuclear waste causes giant lizard, you'd look at the equivalent in the warmer world, which is always at a starting point, warpstone causes giant lizard. So now we're looking at the potential of a great warpstone twisted dragon, okay, that has become something new, but is a water sea dragon that's swirling down down there. That's the first thought that comes to mind. And then, indeed, your next question pins down the next one. Would you make them a protector, a destroyer, a being of both that can't be looked at without being good or evil? And the Warhammer world is, if anything, a world that is often balanced between chaos and order, not necessarily good and evil. So that's when you start adding twists to it. Yes, but, I have a That's question. Just the starting point. Yeah, for you, I have a very quick question to break this down. Uh, get yes. an answer before we probably need to move on. Of, would you want him to be more of Nippon attempted to control and work with Warpstone to create a defender form of life, and it got out of control and turned into a monster that's somehow helpful, somehow not? Or would you want more like a native spirit of Cathay that, because of something that happened, um? <laughs> Uh, i'm feeling the second one already (laughs) yeah has turned into a monstrosity that sometimes helped them sometimes doesn't and it's really terrifying because they don't know whose side he's on when he shows up and i almost certainly would go for the second one and i'd also use it as a point of showing hubris um and warhammer world is constantly uh five minutes to midnight even when it's half past two in the afternoon the end of the world is almost always just sitting on the periphery or sitting on the horizon it might be coming soon um so you'd be looking for an event that came about because someone got desperate they did something they probably shouldn't have uh an ancient spirit was perhaps uh twisted by drawing upon all the winds of magic and trying to turn it into something else and accidentally through a horrible culmination of dar turned it into something that could no longer be trusted the empowerment failed um so was it going to help was it going to hinder you can never be certain consider it the norse of the piece oh the norse trade with us they're our best mates oh crap they're they're reading yeah oh um, yeah <laughs> like a circumstance of like sometimes if he shows up by himself it's bad but hey there was that time he showed up and destroyed a black arc thank god for him <laughs> exactly and yeah. I, I in the end it's always good to have uh those shades of gray running through the warhammer world because an awful lot of it is chaos is the bad guy so the skaven so that which is why it's really nice to have the skaven occasionally <clears throat> do the good guy thing or for example in the end times having characters like manfred manifest in a different fashion not saying that the end times is a good example of all the writing that we should be doing but it's yeah. definitely something that brings up some good examples uh, would Tehanuin get along with Teto Echo? Yeah, I think in general, uh, I think Teto Echo would often, it would be a kind of a hilarious dichotomy because Teto Echo is so old for his skink and he looks old. Mm. Um, and he has like a very specific understanding of the heavens in particular, uh, whereas Tehanuin appears like in his prime and is very, very powerful and stuff. And I think Teto Echo would know better than any other skinks about what Tehanuin potentially is um, and would be like, ah, yes, I acknowledge my elder, despite the fact that he is far more elderly. Um, but I do think they would overall get along. Um, it would be a fun conversation to see, though. Mm, um, yeah, from agreed. a lore perspective, what is his relationship with the Slon? Uh, I think we've covered that pretty well. I think we did a good job in that one. We dived in deep. Uh, were there actually other prophets of Sotek or truly just anyone all along? We answered that. Um, uh, choose your own answer is what I would say under that. <laughs> does does anyone exchange notes with Talayan rat catchers? I think he would be very fond of the <laughs> rat catchers of the Warhammer world. I think anyone would like that one. their efforts. <laughs> Though I'm sure they would be very spooked by the the six foot angry skink lizard in their midst. 
No, oh, that's so funny. Like he's I'm, I'm he's gonna... actually the guild master of the Rat Catchers Guild. It's Tanuin all along. <laughs> ping this. Yeah, that's funny. Um, ping this one up just as a general comment. Um, was the similarity between Kairos and the Slan intentional? I would say that the similarity between the Warhammer cosmology was intentional mm. in that they're all working within the same framework and having those same motifs repeat but through different lenses is one of the things that makes the stories more compelling because you can look around and see the similarities but you can also see the contradictions so um the answer <clears throat> i would say to that is loosely yes so uh actually to add on to that gawking taters there's a really fun whether or not this is canon is a whole different conversation, but there's a really fun conversation. The seventh edition demons of chaos army book, which for whatever reason is a very unique book because it heavily explores the war of the great cataclysm from the demons perspective. And one of the things it suggests is that in the beginning of the war, the demons were not like we see them nowadays. They weren't like aligned. It was more like kind of a mass of constantly evolving creatures that didn't really have like marks or anything like that. Well, so like the screamers and similar and, the, and you know, the <clears throat> aliens, the ones that yeah. aren't aligned. Yeah, they were figuring themselves out. And it talks about that in the beginning of the war, the Slon were utterly dominant. They were obliterating the demons with ease. But as the winds of magic started to go awry and chaos was infecting them, the Slon started to miscast and some of the Slon started to die. And it points out that there's a very mysterious correlation between that when the slon would die and their essence would be devoured by demons or whatever that's when the first greater demons of zinch started to appear um which is a very interesting mystery uh, and there's a lot of potential things there it doesn't explain any further it just sort of tosses that idea for the reader to chew on yeah, you tend to find there's quite a lot of material that's been written by various writers that suggest that ultimately we are aware of at least two components of the soul, your body and your soul. And then when your body dies, the soul goes off into the aether. And what happens when you're killed by chaos? We all know that if you are killed under certain circumstances, your soul goes to that particular god. So if you're killed by a demon, does that mean that the land that were killed by demon go to chaos? Yeah, who knows? Um, uh, let's see. Why are red crested skinks stronger? Yeah, because uh, the blessing of Sotek. Uh, but that's just like how uh, skinks that are blessed by Quetzal have harder scales and are tougher, or skinks blessed by Tepok are more magically attuned and resistant to magic. Skinks blessed by Zunki are faster and more agile, and their minds work quicker, and they're they prefer to stay in water for longer periods of time. Um, it's just the way the different blessings of the old ones express themselves. And I would uh, phrase that in a different way. If you want to look at it in a different way, it's because of how they're genetically manipulated to be. That's yeah. what they were designed to be by the old ones. So it's not just so much that they're blessed, which is classic priesty in-world language. What it is, is each of these skinks, each of these various species of lizardmen are designed to do different jobs. And why are the red-crested ones bigger? Because they're designed to kick ass and chew gum and bring about the birth of a god. Yeah, they're yeah, they're designed to be literally combat skinks, which is yeah. a very weird idea for a skink, but that's and, why we love so it. And skinks as well. This the skinks that make that that bring passion to the lizardmen. Yep. Uh let's see what would what would lizard Moses do for a Klondike bar? Uh just he he'd create an all new form of sacrifice. That's what he'd do. Um okay, we already talked about stuff with Sigmar and Sotek. Uh our Krokar Tane with best friends as close probably as probably as close to what the lizardmen understand as friends though their concept of friends would probably be different than what we understand it as 
Um, but yeah, I would say they're, they actually probably had some very genuinely interesting conversations mm-hmm. and they seem to spend a lot of time together. Oh, skink oracles. Very, very interesting breed of lizard men. Um, skink oracles only started spawning after uh, the Sotek incident. They are twin tailed skinks that are naturally affiliated with the troglodons, which are terrifying, blind, venomous uh, lizards that can spit acid that are the lizardmen view them as the embodiment of the wrath of the old ones. And even the slon don't mess with troglodons because they're that unpleasant and ornery, but uh, skink oracles are able to tame them just by approaching them um, because there's, there's something innate there. Does that mean troglodons are blessed by Sotek? Maybe. Or Sotek had an affinity with them. They are, I mean, they have limbs, but they're, there are a lot of serpentine features to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, that's a that's a fascinating idea. But they have twin tails are often associated with Sotek. Uh, so I would definitely say there's a relationship there. Though some speculate that the skink oracles are blessed by all the old ones and Sotek. They are marks of the old ones, which albino lizardmen are said to be blessed by the entire pantheon, not a single old one. So like Gorok, uh, the great white lizard, is believed to be blessed by all of them which gave you a busted-ass rule in tabletop where you you got D3 rerolls in every battle because they were blessed by fate, uh, which is bonkers. Uh, absolutely hilarious if you pulled it off well. Uh, let's see. Now, while you're looking, I'll just say, because he's a dick. We will. I promise y'all that is <laughs> going to be one of the topics for the vote this week. That will be a topic. Why does Andy hate Gelt? Because <laughs> people keep asking. It's becoming a, it's becoming a thing. Um is there a closer relationship between skinks and croc scores since they are the working class of lizardman society? Yes, but they also come with the same spawning pool. Um, skinks yeah. and croc scores are bird from the same pool, and there is a there is an affinity between them. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would I would go a bit less t- closely tied. They're not really the most emotional of species, so I I wouldn't so much say that there's a th- there's affinities. I think that is actually a really good word. In the same way that say affinities between ogres and halflings. Um, there's affinities they're linked um, and they're genetically linked and they're genetically supposed to work together but all of the lizardmen species there's a reason that they're caught up under one umbrella um, in the Warhammer world they're the lizardmen they're not the you know the, the skinks and the saurus they're just all lumped together as the lizardmen um, uh, because they are all working together they all have affinities towards particular jobs and they're all designed to do stuff in concert. So I'd say they all are more than just those two alone. Yeah. And there, there are notes um, that like the, the relationship as viewed from like a very clinical sense is that skinks feel far more secure and brave around croxagors because they're very big and stompy and uh, they they can, they can kind of rally around them as something that they can feel more brave in the presence of. And croxagors are very heavily energized by skinks. Croxagors are very entertained and kind of, they kind of wake up and are more active when the skinks are around them because they kind of feed off that, the, the chittering and the constant movement and energy that the skinks give off. And the croxagors are kind of tuned into that. Uh, but that's likely very much designed. Uh, I love Lizardman. I love Lizardman. And uh, this is a silly question. <laughs> Clearly it's guilt. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna have to we're gonna have to have a have like call in a psychologist to sit down with us and Andy about <laughs> his issues with guilt. Um, uh, let's see. Um, 
uh, skip that. Is Tehenwin still around the age of Sigmar? We don't know. Um, he has not made any kind of appearance yet, but Sotek is still around, and Sotek is huge and more active and powerful than he was in fantasy, which says a lot because he was very powerful in fantasy. I um, would say if you were just not going with what's actually currently in print, as in does he exist and just look at the world as it's been presented, where it came from, and the world that we have for the old world so far, the answer is simply yes. Whether yeah. they ever make him, that's a different kettle of fish, but the answer would be yes. Yeah, I would put down a, like a heavy amount of money that Tehenuin exists in the universe. Yeah. We just haven't, he just hasn't appeared yet. Totally. Um, what is Tehenuin's relationship with other lizard groups? Uh, I think we've covered that pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done that one. Um, no, Tehenuin does not hate the Slon. He just kind of was not willing to wait for them. Um, but he does respect the salon. Like when they tell him to do something, he follows those orders. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does not allow them to stop him from doing what he's doing. Yep, totally. I'm just going to bring up that one. I, I loosely agree, Hawk. Um, it's an interesting thought that they're all called lizardmen rather than individually picked out, especially when considering the greenskins are actually called orcs and goblins. So they weren't, for example, called the Slan army list. And these are all the various species that sit underneath them. They were very clearly called the lizardmen. And interestingly, the Slan aren't really lizards anyway. Yeah, no. Um, and actually, if you want to see some crazy shit, you should go look up the original Slan. They were wildly different uh and that's almost worth a, a stream in and of itself because um the evolution of the slan from where they were to what they became is fascinating particularly as someone who used to have an old slan blood bowl team yep yep uh what's up with several of the lizardman characters disappearing and showing up again later uh well it helps when you live for crazy long periods of time and you are potentially all over the globe. A lot of people think the Lizardmen are just in Lustre or just in the Southlands. That's not true. They're mm-hmm. active on all the continents. We don't get to see it very much, but there are very specific notes woven in that talks about, like, Krokar has fought on every continent. Um, and to hand it, like, they teleport around. They use the paths of the old ones, which is a whole thing we don't have time for today. Of, like, there are Interestingly, little- what the adventure I was writing with Gav Thorpe was called. Yeah, which like there's portals that you can fall into or walk into without realizing it that will lead you to kind of like an extra planar pathway around the world where you can travel an yeah, obscene distance very quickly. Happens in uh, Go Trek and Felix Giant Slayer if you want to see it in action. I'll just bring this one up because I think it's an interesting question. If Lizardmen are against undead because of the Great Plan, why do they even allow Lord Croak to still exist? Wouldn't he be against the Great Plan? No. Quite different. The undead are the unnatural reanimation of the corpus, that is the material component of a soul, without the need for any part of the original soul. Lord Croak has the original soul encased within its body, effectively. Um, so it's a completely different situation. Lord Croak is still existing within the standard relationship of how bodies, immaterial bodies, and material bodies work. The undead are a complete perversion of it, and they are just wrong. On yeah, so but many you have to remember, Lord Croak is not undead. He did not fully die and then come back. He just refused to die. He just refused to die. His his body's sort of dead, but his spirit's just sort of sitting in it, going, "Hey." I'm still here, dudes. I'll yeah. have a nap. Yeah, there, there's a very, very specific... He didn't cross over a threshold and then was dragged back. He just... He never crossed. He's just... He's just here. dead. He's just... Yeah. The dude's dead. He's not dead. Yeah. Yeah, he's not undead. Um, he's just dead. Was so... Te- said that. 
Lasotek alive before being conjured by Tehanuin. Uh, we've talked about that uh, timey-wimey shenanigans in the realm of chaos slash the ether. Sotek has probably always been, but also not been until he was summoned. But he probably has always been. Yeah, it's a mindfuck. We know. Yeah, um, right. It is. Uh, how does Tehanuin feel about other uses of the snake so uh, motif? Would he find it a perversion of Sotek's form? Ooh. I don't think he'd care. Yeah, I, I don't. I think uh, you've got to understand the singularity of purpose that a creature like Tehenuin represents, and seeing sneaky things elsewhere is as much of a difference to uh, its life as seeing a tree or a shield or whatever. None of that matters. All that matters is the greater plan that it's following. And if that happens to be your bad guys over there and I have to sacrifice you and kill you for the greater good, then that's what's going to occur. If they're allies, then they're just allies who have to have sneaky stuff on them. I, I honestly don't think it would make any difference to them at all. Yeah, I could see Tenwin maybe getting a little extra miffed if he encountered a chaos serpent of some kind. He might take that as a little bit more extra yeah, He's quite a passionate individual. I could see yeah. him wanting to take that fucker so, down. Yeah, you know, if he if he's fighting like the Naga of Koresh and they have some kind of weird chaosy serpent monster, like a dreadworm, for instance, um, he might take personal offense to that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but uh I don't think he would care about like the Tomb Kings and Asaf, for instance. Hmm. Yeah, agreed. Uh let's see. Uh is there any cases of a plaque getting destroyed by the lizard men? Um, it's suggested they might have done that considering the Slon of Chakwa goes so far as to hide theirs. Yeah, I think that there is absolutely no doubt that when some of the cities lost their slan and there was a devolution of the lizardmen that were living in and around that area, that some of the, the ancient tombs or equivalent, the pyramids, will have been trashed. Yeah. Uh, is Tehenuin and Sotek purely focused on the Skaven's destruction? No, they're against chaos. Um, mm -hmm. they, they seem to be a little less focused on enemies of the great plan which can be a little more broad they seemed a little more laser focused on chaos and things that were spawned by chaos mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um there is there is a very subtle difference there um does tehenuin effectively have a slons level of authority post the revelation of sotek close probably i'd say it's different yeah um, uh, I, I just say it's different. For example, if you're um, going to war, the slan are not necessarily the ones commanding everybody uh, to go do X, Y, or Z. They've got ants that do that far better than them. And some of those ants would include prophets of Sotek, for example. Mm. Um, they, they live in a different sphere. They, they work at a different level. They have their temple guard to protect them because they're doing other things and not necessarily thinking about the things that are about to hit them. Um, they are different. And he is a much more immediate in-your-face force than this distant slan. So I'd say different rather than equal. Yeah. Uh, in answer to this, I see a couple people asking, Quaddles are associated with Tepok the Inscrutable. Yep. Um, to the point where they are considered sacred to him, which means he either heavily favored them. He might've even taken the form of one. There are some suggestions. The old ones might've shapeshifted or taken on forms that they found particularly pleasing. Um, but uh, they are associated with Tepok, not Sotek. Just uh, to bring up this one. Uh, this is a separate stream. I'm going to say maybe we could have covered this in a Manfred stream, but the answer is simply vampires 
are nothing like that. Um, we'll maybe do that <laughs> in a second stream, though. Yeah, uh, don't worry. We will swing back around to Manfred sooner rather than later. He's a character mm -hmm. I really want to touch on Andy with because a lot of people hate him for the way he was mischaracterized in the end times, and that makes me upset he's spaghetti because uh, he's actually a great character. I think he's uh, a superb character. I love him. Uh, can we get a translation of the phrase Tanwin shouts? Okay, so he's not shouting silly Sotek. He's saying Shili Sotek, uh, which is uh, is actually X-H-I-L-I, -I, I believe. Um, and the very vague um um translation of what he's saying is he's essentially shouting something along the lines of like kill for sotek um uh slay for sotek uh fight for sotek vengeance for sotek it's it's a war cry that's similar to translating roughly to that uh shili means something along the lines of like fire vengeance um volcanic activity uh stuff like that um that being said i would learn so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i would literally i have been bugging andy hall a lot about releasing um lexicons for the different languages because i know he has them uh and i know gangs workshop has them and they used to release them a lot back in the day uh but they're a lot more cagey about it now uh, i really wish they would put them out so people could like have fun with them in the role play game and stuff um yeah, i've been told fun. i've been told they're considering it um uh, but uh they've been telling me that for at least a year now so anyway um why didn't sotek appear reappear in the end times and the scaven went crazy who says he didn't yeah quite um i, I would <clears> generally <throat> say uh, look at the end times as around about one thousandth of the overall picture it's just some tiny fragments and from small corners of the known world the end times did not go into the greater depth of everything that could occur we know this because what the fuck happened with grand Cathay, really yeah, where are, are those dragons yeah what the hell there's no chance they would have gone down without at least a bit of a chat and grimgore definitely did not kick them all in yeah no uh and in age of sigmar has actually been like heavily uh retconning uh the uh the end times a lot um one of my biggest hopes i don't know when it when it could ever happen but if the old world is a huge success i would love for them to try and rewrite the end times but take their time with it um, and try and tell a world-spanning story and that beautifully wraps it up and is also not... You have to remember, The End Times was not... Here's the, Okay, I'm going to put it very simply. <laughs> the End Times, its ultimate flaw is it's not about the End Times of Warhammer Fantasy. It's about trying to set up for Age of Sigmar. Yeah, and so there were a lot of mistakes made because they didn't care about trying to wrap up fantasy. They cared about trying to set the stage for what comes next. And it was not <laughs> done frightfully well. And I you... don't like saying that, but it's, I think, universally accepted by most. Uh, why does it tell anyone have faith-like powers being a prophet of a god? Why does just the Lord of Beasts? Uh, we've talked about this, limitations of the medium. Um, and also, uh, humans have a very unique way of expressing yeah. their power through gods that other races don't do. Yeah, I, I would strongly suggest that not doing that would be better because the Lizardmen have a different um, relationship with the winds of magic and with faith and with the gods represent to, for example, humanity who have a completely different relationship. And elves, for example, you would never find an elf worshipping Sotek, but you might find an elf worshipping an elven equivalent of said god. Not that I'm saying I have that in my game. Why does Tanwin hold the sacred plaque the way he does in Total War? I don't want to talk about it. It makes me mad. Oh, I hate the way they designed him. But, okay, you know, I, I have to go check that out. He I'm holds his to... plaque like this on the tip of his fingers straight up. So he okay. doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> do. Yeah, he doesn't tuck it under his arm. 
and he's not <laughs> holding it by the side. He holds it directly up. Please tell me he whacks someone in the face with it. At least I, I wish he did. I oh, that would be so awesome. Uh, Take that old one plaque in your face. Yeah, yeah. See, I've been begging CA if they ever have time to make it where he holds it by the side so that because like. Okay, sure, he has the wow. wrist strength of a god, but it looks stupid, <laughs> especially when he's, like, running full speed, holding it out in front of him. It's so stupid looking. Uh, though, fun fact, um, actually, from a lore standpoint, Tehenwin actually very rarely held the plaque um, because, you know, you wouldn't use that in a fight. He had a attendant that held it for him whose name was Pukunchi. Uh Pukunchi was uh, the bearer of the sacred plaque, and he carried it around where Tehenwin would make his speeches because Tehenwin was usually too busy stabbing people. Yeah, um, I mean, that's what his big sacrificial dagger is for. Um, and the answer to this is the slan, obviously. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, the slan would curb stomp. Every, like, except for maybe the Celestial Dragon Emperor himself, maybe Yuan Bo. Yeah, no, the slan no, would. I, I still think the slan would. I mean, the slan have got access to older, different technology yeah, that's true. as well um, that will provide them with access to deeper knowledge that uh, pure empirical attempts to divine the depths of yeah, space the game does not give us enough of a spectrum but a lot of people from a lore standpoint the slan are basically gods yeah. they are yeah. there is nobody that can go 1v1 against them reliably um, i mean there's there's stories of slan going against almost like a score or more of greater demons and often during for example the cataclysm when the greater demons were were godzilla sized or bigger and there's like one slan dealing with like 30 or 40 of the buggers ha ha not a problem i'll take you all down by myself slan are proper mental yeah there uh, and there are hilarious stories i i kind of miss the way the 5th edition books used to explore like personal accounts um, there are some really funny stories back then. My favorite is an Empire Great Wizard of uh of uh, the Bright College who travels all the way to Lustria because he wants to fight a slan. It does not go well for him. <laughs> oh, <good> surprise. <laughs> um uh okay, I so we're at the, uh, <laughs> I haven't read uh, it's the it's normally for ages. Yeah, I, I think it's from a white dwarf article, actually. It's super funny because he's like this arrogant bastard the entire time. And when he gets to Lestria, he gets off the boat and the skinks are there for some reason to greet him. And he's like, I want to fight your slon. And they're like, all right. <laughs> so a slon comes out and he tells the ship, you guys leave. I'll take care of this. And they see like almost like a nuclear bomb go off, like a mushroom cloud level of fire. And they never hear from the wizard. <laughs> like he just dies um it's great anyway um last few questions uh we've done that we've done that uh we talked about the engines of the gods we talked about to anyone yeah. uh to the old uh to would definitely revere the old ones like he's still a lizard man he still acknowledges the great plan he still acknowledges the old ones the old ones and sotek are like this they yeah. are intertwined they're they're not exclusive from each other they are pretty much all part of the same process Tehenwin becomes the incarnate of beasts. I, I would not make Tehenwin an incarnate. Uh, if I had written the end times, I would have done a really cool story with Tehenwin. I might have done him as the incarnate of Hesh. Uh, see, I would have made uh, Lord Mazdamundi the incarnate of fire. That's what I would have done. Fire. Yeah. You could have done that really well with uh, Tehenwin as well. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have, to have a... So I would have actually had Tehenwin die. Um, I, like, I would have told a really big story with him attacking Skavenblight probably or putting up a big final battle but i would have had him go down personally i don't i would i think i would have um possibly pulled the old azure in with him um and had him die and had him respawn to do something exceptional to ensure that uh, sacrifice himself to ensure that 
the uh, remaining Slan could oh, spirit, would themselves, spirit, himself, spirit themselves away effectively into space um, to move on towards the uh, Age of Sigmar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you could make him the first incarnate, then he dies and it moves on to Bus Bunny and then Tanoin reappears later. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. That, that, that would work pretty well. That'd be pretty cool. Considering if there's any of the Winds of Magic that uh, should have that rebirth angle to it, it's actually, uh, actually, that would have been really cool. That would have been pretty fun. That's that so whole rebirth Azurin. Yep. right through it yeah i do quite like that uh how do the lizardmen keep communication supplies with southlands illustria uh they rarely talk to one another because the geomantic web has been short-circuited in a lot of places yeah, and it's damaged between them um but occasionally when like the constellations are in the right alignment or certain winds of magic are particularly strong or there's uh a bolstering the great warding they are able to speak to each other very briefly um, yeah. um i'd also consider it from the perspective of um imagine that they've got themselves 100 magic points just imagine it like that and that's got to last them until the end of time every time they draw yeah. upon it they're wasting a little bit of it which means that they're going to always look for when they get plus two magic points this week because the stars are aligned or because a planet <laughs> has moved across the sky rather than use the finite resource that lies within so could they reach out and communicate probably do they want to because of the finite uh, resources that they have and the danger of shaking it and damaging it no yeah and you have to remember that there are slon in southlands and the slon of lustria trust them to be doing their job yeah well quite um uh grant i think the old i think there's only i think the the main slon of zlotlan i think he's only like a third generation he's not as old as the a lot of the other slon that are ruling over lustria uh but he's still like fairly powerful in his own right um, um I'm going to bring this one up just as a loose question. Um, oh, how are the parts of the old ones of the geomantic web connected directly? Yeah. Um, and this pops up more than once. And it's also worth mentioning that the parts of the old ones are not the only routes that are available through the material realm. We've got the Wood Elves with their world routes. We've got the Eonir who have something similar. So that's the Wood Elves of the Empire. Um, and they can skip spirits. have got methods of um, uh, avoiding distance. Um, there's lots of ways of doing it. But in terms of the old ones, um, it is directly connected to and a part of, you could argue, with the uh, geomatic web, at least as it was originally designed that could change yeah but it should be worth uh traveling the paths of the old ones is very fucking dangerous oh there yeah. are i mean there are parts of it that are broken down there are holes in it that demons are able to pour through it's not absolutely. a safe place yeah the geomantic web's broken as are the paths yeah that's why very rarely does anyone use them uh because doing so comes with a lot of risk yeah techless has had a little rundown there he had a laugh Yes, yeah, yeah. Gotrek almost died in there. Yeah, right. right. To put it in perspective, uh, <laughs> and then Tekla saved him, and Gotrek got really upset. <laughs> Never save a slayer. What's wrong with you, elf? <laughs> Ruined my doom. Um, that is that will always be my favorite book because the 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 just the needling assholery between Teclas and Gotrek is oh, it's peak. It is it's so well written. It's hilarious. <laughs> They're dicks to each other. Um. All right, uh, let's see. We've already talked about a lot of these. How would Lizardman interact with the other characters? Generally, uh, he is fairly respectful if he's dealing with a slon and he's proselytizing if he's talking to the other characters. Yeah, um, you think, don't think of him. Uh, imagine, I'm going to give you a completely different angle here so that you can try to imagine the sort of effect. Imagine him a little bit like a really famous actor or a really famous rock star. He arrives in a place and everyone's like, whoa, because 
the dude isn't just famous. He's beyond that. Mm. He's someone that everyone will turn around and look at and go, it's it's him. Um, someone that will spread rumors of interest. And that's part of the point of the character. He's meant to be someone that makes Lizardmen feel. Yeah, which is why I adore him so much, because mm. he evolved them into something so much better uh also yeah that's literally go trek in every single book <laughs> um all right so i think uh okay last question which i all I, right okay, last two questions last two questions number one uh, andy uh this is a good question uh if you sure. were to write to henwin's battle stuff would you still keep him with the lore of beasts or would you adjust him to the lore of light if i was doing it yeah. um See, uh, the lore of beasts is 100% appropriate. Um, oh, yeah. I would not want to have that removed. Um, in my world, lore of beasts, yes. Lore of fire, yes. Lore of light, yes. Could just give him a choice. There's always that option. Yeah, quite. <laughs> um, this or this or this. <laughs> uh, um, uh, in a perfect world, he would have a lore of what makes most sense for him because it would have a different cultural um, relevance for how they express. But I wouldn't change it. I would probably attempt to amend and add to it. There you go. Uh, and then the last question, uh, which is kind of interesting, is uh, uh, based on the conversations y'all have had about Sigmar and Sotek, do you think there would be a really interesting discussion if they could understand one another if you put Tehenwin and Volkmar the Grim in a room together? <laughs> which, like, man, that's that's very out of the box. <laughs> I don't know okay, how that so go down. That's quite the hypothetical. Yeah. Huge. Um, <laughs> hypothetical um i mean uh, i'm just imagining their individual characters and why would volkmar even want to talk to this individual why would tehenowin want to talk to volkmar i mean why yeah you you probably have to like put like a bunch of twin-tailed iconography around them so if they both walk in the room they go You're oh, the same simple. thing just expressing differently oh, no we're just using similar iconography um yeah uh i find that question too difficult to answer in isolation what it requires as a question to answer is context and by that i mean why are they talking what are they talking about and what forces them to still talk because they both have got their own motivations and desires which seem to be almost antithetical to each other and there's no real reason for them to be mixing yeah, uh, I, I think the most realistic way I can interpret that question would be what would happen if Volkmar learned how significant the Twin-Tailed Comet is to the Lizardmen? Like he got some sort of... Because Volkmar is a very interesting character. He is willing to think about things that no one else is within the cult yeah, of Sigmar. He is, he's, he's, a, he's an intellectual. Um, out of all the various Sigmarite figures that we have, Volkmar is most certainly an intellectual, someone who has got intellectual curiosity. And I will say, if you wanted to run a really cool roleplay thing, if you wanted to bring Volkmar uh, little tidbits, like pieces of Lizardman lore that talk about Tehenuin, talk about the cult of Sotek and the Twin-Tailed Comet, he might find that very interesting. Yeah, I think he almost certainly would. And I think that um, there's a part of him that would go, I wish to conflate this and make Sotek Sigmar. Um, <laughs> but he absolutely would. <laughs> there is a certain level of arrogance that comes with Sigmarism. 
Um, and they will be looking to effectively take anything that looks like Sigmar and make it Sigmar. And I, I, in fact, I'll go beyond that. It's not Sigmarism, it's humanity, where they mm. often look at things that look similar and they try to conflate them. The, the cult of Tal was notorious for doing this out of Talibicland, where it um, was an exceedingly warlike tribe behind it, the Tulutans. And they spread out from what is modern-day Talibicland. And anything that looked like it was a nature god, they just claimed was Tal. Um, regardless of what it was. So they just wandered around kicking shit out of everything, going, no, you worship Tal now. Um, so it's it wouldn't surprise me if they took a more martial aspect and pretty much tried to convert and convince everyone that it was just Sigmar anyway. Okay, last question I'm going to answer. Uh, <laughs> uh, it depends on which version of the lore you're looking at. Uh, generally speaking, though, elves. Um, there's a very big relationship. Uh, probably the most unexplored relationship that I, I hate was unexplored and I would have loved to have seen is I would have loved to see the relationship between the elves of Athel Lauren and the Lizardmen because the idea to me that they've never encountered each other is absolute horseshit. Um, yeah, pretty much, especially because they're both using similar routes through the world. The, uh, the chances of um, the pass of the old ones um, and the world routes not occasionally intersecting is, I think, almost none. Now, they're obviously discrete, different things, but by the very nature of chaos and the way it corrupts things and causes things to dissolve uh, and become others, they, they would cross over and merge at points. There would be breaks, and the neither side would like this. So the ch the fact that they haven't had some interesting connections is i think just a, a waste it should have occurred yeah and, please, and in my head it has yeah i that is probably one of my favorite things total war has done with the wood elves is expand what they're like globally and exploring that like there would be little wood elf enclaves or entities that are uh affiliated or sympathetic to the wood elves in the various places where the world roots appear across yeah, the planet if you just take a look at where they originally spawned from anyway a, a good chunk of the original wood elves came from avalorn um over in Ulthuin, and avalorn mm. is, is really 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 similar in many respects to athaloran there's a reason that athaloran was an easy step for them to move into and whilst yes it is quite alien and weird in the depths it is still a very similar place to avalorn so yeah, there's going to be all manner of connections between them all. And it's something that because our lore is built upon multiple iterations, and we but we still use the stories from the original point when the lore was written, there's lots of weird holes. Like, for example, there's almost no doubt, given the way that the world is built now, that there would have been almost direct communication and link between Athaloran and Avalorn. Oh, yeah. Which like, the Everqueen Ariel almost assured we would have had, like, diplomatic... Breaks almost all the stories because <laughs> at any point anyone could just yep. go hey i'm just going to hike over and go speak to the everqueen hey i'm here hey you know all the problems that are be kicking around oh oh what problems this 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 oh great oh okay i'm going to send somebody back now oh they got killed by assassins as they moved by a boat no they didn't they went through the world routes yeah yeah. Oh, it's so annoying. There's, there's, a, um, there's a lot of big holes all over the there's place. There's enormous plot holes all over the place, which you have to make some really weird mental gymnastics um, to try and make it make sense. Yeah, the idea to me that there are not forest spirits that reside in Lustria with how magically powerful it is, is asinine. Actually um, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and like, what what would the Slon's predatory spell have done to them? That would mm. be, like, those would probably be some fucking scary dryads and treemen. 
it'd be pretty freaking awesome and possibly um not expressing as we expect because in the end the dryads are just shapeshifters um they're yeah. they're, they're tree spirits that have got a whole bunch of different aspects and one of the aspects that they wear is um, an almost elf look that looks like a female elf or alternatively a war look which looks like various horrible yeah, the, the very the, the, the three ladies well we, yeah. we all know from the models um yeah, and that's just the war aspect yeah that's just the war aspect indeed they've got many different that they're shapeshifters so having some equivalent down in you Lusk joke but on our yeah, that'd be fucking awesome yeah and um, you could make some really cool shit out of that and i'm i, I am quite sad that often all that's thought about is the core the, just the core of what's required for the army and all the rest of the Warhammer cosmology falls aside because they only focus yeah, at on the end of the day. Y'all have to remember that like the army books, which is where we get a lot of our base lore from, like they're just about the core most basic identity and then why they fight people. Yeah. Um, totally. And that's it, which is very like, that's why me and Andy love the role play stuff so much more because it, it actually starts to, it gets its hands dirty. It gets dirt under the fingernails. It tries it to explore a lot of things where you go, Oh, but I've never read about that. It's like, yeah, but it's the only thing that would make sense. Yeah, of, absolutely. You know, it's like, there, there's a lot of different things of like, all these races would be interacting with each other, would encounter one another. You know, the lizard and the wood elves would not be nearly as isolationist as they're portrayed. Uh, because they it it just they're they're global empires. Um, they are very isolated and they have little points, but they would literally be everywhere. Yeah, quite. And I think that there is a um a need for many a rewrite across the board, and it's not going to occur because nobody really has thought of all of the Warhammer world and how it all works together as one great piece what they do is they think about the problem that's sitting in front of them today like for example oh we need to create a new kislev so let's sit down and make lots of cool kislev shit and they make lots of cool kislev shit forgetting about all all the rest of the world um that maybe contradicts or doesn't support or the stuff that's elsewhere says there should be some stuff in Kislev that looks like this. They don't worry about that. They just work, worry about what's the cool shit for Kislev today and how does it impact the winds of magic? Because they usually remember the winds. Yeah, and always. I will say that's a lot of reason why I like Total War is that Total War is kind of forced to expand the races beyond mm. just their base ideas and ask questions of, you know, where people go, well, why the fuck would Mother Ostankia ever appear in Nagaroth? And you have to go, well, yeah, why would she? <laughs> why would she leave the Forest of Kislev to attack someone else? There's a story there that you can genuinely explore. Why is Nakai wandering around Grand Cathay? That's a great question. You know, there are people that go, oh, well, that's impossible. The book doesn't say that. No, the book doesn't explore something yeah. that very likely would happen. I could not agree more. Which is great. And that's why uh, Total War should be your springboard into the roleplay game, which should be your springboard into shameless plug watching Lawhammer because Damn straight. <laughs> is attempting to explore these ideas. Well and done. I think that was pretty damn impressive. Seamless. Um, Seamless. The whole links there were just great. So if um, you haven't already checked out over on the Lawhammering uh, side of things, uh, we have our own YouTube channel over there. Uh, we are diving into the role-playing game where we're telling all manner of different stories with the Warhammer world. Um, and we're also doing a variety of almost what-if examples run through all the way. For example, our most recent episode, which was just 
what, last Friday, um, yep. we had the retelling of a story that was in a book that they found. So who knows whether it's true or not? But it had such fun things in it as a very drunk Teclis. I mean, really? Teclis is a drunk? In <laughs> this story, he was. It had Magnus the Pious as a relatively young and uncertain man who most certainly wasn't the Sigmarite that everyone later believed him to be. It had the foundation of some of the Colleges of Magic not looking quite as certain as it might have been. It was a fun aside because one of our players was ill that week. Because and It even had. has an assassination attempt in it. It's great. It it was super fun. Fucking so yeah, Ed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good times. Spoiler. Um, so yeah, um, uh, we stream every single Friday. Although we're not streaming next Friday, we're going to be popping up something else probably because it's our week off. But we stream every single Friday, and we stream the Enemy Within campaign, the most famous campaign written for roleplay games almost ever, bar maybe a couple of Cthulhu ones. Arguably, it's um, a lot of fun every single Friday. Warhammer World seen through a completely different lens as six players are led through the Warhammer World by me as the GM. Yeah, and uh, just to give some further ideas, some little hooks to maybe like pique your interest. Uh, things that have happened slash characters that have appeared that you might go, oh shit, I want to see how Andy tells that story. <laughs> We're talking Bellacore. We're talking yep. the Elven Pantheon and how they interact with the other gods. We're mm -hmm. talking the Great Cataclysm. We're mm -hmm. talking uh, Thyrus Gorman, the, the Supreme Patriarch before Gelt and the Patriarch of the Fire College. Uh, we're talking, uh, there have been mentions of Dragon Ogre Shaggoth. There's even an encounter mm -hmm. with the Dragon Ogre Shaggoth. Um, it's not small. No, yeah, we're talking like Colex sized Dragon Ogre Shaggoth. Uh, we've got, uh, it might even be Colex. It's not Colex, but it might even be. It's not. Uh, we're talking about breastplates being annihilated on a disturbingly <laughs> regular basis. Uh, <laughs> Randy. Uh, we're talking you're about, out there, Andy. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, we're talking about uh, Zinch, perhaps, or a greater demon of horrifying power making appearances. We're talking about wizard, not cults, but secret societies within uh the colleges of magic all sorts of fucking awesome bizarre crazy ideas um yeah skaven gracier thankful uh and my character will eventually make an appearance which it's I'm, great fun which I'm <laughs> super fucking excited for i don't get to play them but i at least get to participate in a sense yeah, good so times. For that so um, uh Cut a long story short, um, it, much like all stories, it's something that develops over time. We have, uh, what, about 30 odd episodes up already? That, worth having no. a look at. Um, they do change. Different episodes have different tones. Our first ones, our sound isn't so good because we're still learning about how the fuck to do all this. If you watch my channel, get over it. It's fine. Yeah, totally. It, it quickly gets better after a few episodes, but it's an awful lot of fun. Um, I will also uh, do one other little plug, and that's that we have Inside the Rookery over on the Rookery channel. Yeah. That's Rookery Public Vacations, and that's starting up next Saturday again. Our sixth hawk. Season, if you I could think? spam the links on Twitch and YouTube, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. You rock hawk. If you do that, um, that's starting um this Saturday. We stream every single Saturday at seven PM UK time, and we get people from across the games industry, and we just discuss for just an hour. It's a really short show, um, for just an hour about random subjects from the gaming industry, and it could be how games are made, how books are written, how to do it yourself. What you is this week? Um, I don't you know. know. <laughs> I'm going to be doing you know the ad. I, I, I have no idea, but I will know after the stream because it's Andy, a mystery. <laughs> Andy Lee pinged me this afternoon and said, "Have you done the advert for it yet?" And I said, "No, I'm about to go into a stream." Well, hey, uh, yeah. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a mystery. You'll have to tune in on Saturday to figure out what the fuck it is. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. Um, um, 
Yeah, and last thing, uh, both of these are on Patreon. Please, please, please go support them. Even a dollar a month helps out more than you can possibly imagine. It's way more than ad revenue tends to make. Uh, so mm. please go check those out. And if you are, if you want to be extra special, uh, you can even have special interactions. Or if you want to have a character appear in the Lawhammer campaign, oh, yes. if you donate enough, that's that's a viable option. Um, so um, I'm going to end with a nice little thing here. Um, we haven't decided what our uh, episode's going to be next week. Um, we're still murmuring around on it, but we're going to do something a bit different next week. Um, yo, where, yeah, thank you. Um, that, uh, so we don't forget that one. I shall pass yes. over to your good self. To... We will not be here uh, next week. Uh, we're going to be... Yeah, I know. Change! Ah! Uh, we're going to go... Uh, we're going to be live streaming Lorebeards on the Lawhammer YouTube channel and the Lawhammer mm. Twitch channel. Same Which time. Which is going to be strange. Yeah, exact same time, exact same format. We're just going to be over there. Uh, and mm -hmm. we're going to be alternating weeks. That way it makes it easier for us to be like, you should subscribe. And people go, where? And the answer is yeah. where we already are. Uh, yeah, so and also so means that when we're doing it over on my one, I can say, go over to Lorebuster Sotex site. So we can actually do that for a change. Because <laughs> yeah. we don't so, do that enough because you're already uh, on this one. And by the way, have you subscribed and liked and done everything to this video? I don't know how you would get on to it. But yeah, uh, <laughs> totally. Yeah. So we will. Oh, my God. That could be a fun question kyle uh so anyway uh keep an eye out for subjects i will have those posts because we're gonna do the poll on my channel this week um yep, yep. i will have those up by the end of today um and uh thank you all for watching we're done here you this was walk. a lot of fun i'm glad i got to talk ramble about tahinuan that was a lot of fun that was a hopefully y'all can fun. understand why he's my favorite um, he is the best isn't he Okay, this will never happen because uh, not because I don't think it's funny, <laughs> but because I cannot drink alcohol. So uh, mm. I'm sorry. I could pretend to be drunk and then we could let just. <laughs> I'm naturally drunk all the time. Let's yeah, be honest. Yeah, he's, I'm he's like a rambling <laughs> drunk at the best of times. You know, you're Do not. You really want me drunker? You're not wrong. Like, come on. Y'all have seen the way Andy dances. You've seen the way he, like, he's always drunk. He's just, yeah, it's a perpetual state. Thank <laughs> <laughs> Thank y'all for watching, uh, and we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, so. Bye.